Airline Pilot Guy, episode 359. Hello, you're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy show, the view from our side of the cockpit door. I'm Captain Jeff, your host, broadcasting live from Studio 1A in APG headquarters. Today's show was recorded on the 22nd of January, 2019. Today's episode, Drug Smuggling Air Crews, Low Passes Over Nashville, and a 787 Dual Engine Shutdown on Landing Roll. More news, your feedback, and this week's plane tale, Adam's Pink and Speedbird 38, Part 2. So get all settled in. Tray tables and seatbacks in their upright and locked positions. Electronic devices powered on. Flight 359 is ready for pushback. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. It's an aviation podcast where we talk about aviation news and answer your feedback. And joining me today to help me do that from her lakeside studio in South Carolina, doctor, skydiver, marathon runner, strength training junkie, IPA connoisseur, and commercial multi-engine instrument rated pilot, Dr. Steph. Hey, good evening, Captain Jeff. Great to see you tonight. Looking forward to a wonderful show. Also joining us from his home recording studio in the pastoral English countryside, professional photographer, former RAF RAAF fighter pilot, current captain for an international airline based in London, Captain Nick. Oh, hi there, Jeff. Nice to be on a game. Looking forward to a great show. Some interesting subjects tonight. Yes, I agree. And also joining us from his stately southern mansion in Smyrna, Georgia, barbecue master, motorcycle rider, boat skipper, and underwater photographer, and captain for a major U.S. legacy carrier, Captain Dana. Well, good evening or good morning, good afternoon, wherever you're listening from, and uh, great to be back on another fantastic episode, and I agree with you guys, some great topics this evening to talk about, so looking forward to another fantastic evening. Well, that's awesome. So good to see you all, and glad to see everybody in the chat room. We do this show live every week, and uh, follow us on social media, and you'll get a notification uh, letting you know when we're recording live and it's always um, a lot of fun I think for uh, everybody to hang out while we're recording and uh, this is the part of the show if you're new to it uh, first of all we'd like to apologize and uh, secondly uh, we would like to tell you that uh, during this portion of the show we uh, talk about what we've been doing between shows and let's see let's start with i'm looking at the little video thumbnails here on the screen which one shall i go with first i'm going to go with the one that is not muted himself and that is captain dana how are you sir i was actually muted i just used the rolls uh, mic switch oh okay yeah well so, i didn't but, see the little microphone <laughs> muting thing muted on my screen yet. okay I, I take the lazy man way of doing it i don't have to click anything on my actual screen i just hit this 
and then that's all of a sudden I'm there and I'm going. Oh, you know what? I love that because that means that when, if and when I have to use your local recording, I don't hear you either, which is nice. And all the wonderful things I'm saying about you behind you. No, I'm again. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyways, yeah, great, uh, great week. I finished up my uh, uh, seven days in a row. Um, and technically not able to fly the seventh day, had the dead head. But by the time I got to my seventh day, the, the uh, we recorded the last episode between trips. So I finished, uh, did a four-day trip. And it was rather uneventful, uh, just the way we like it. Uh, day four was a uh, deadhead back from Cleveland and sat next to a, an old friend of mine that I had flown with before uh, who also owns a boat up on the lake. And so we chatted the whole way back, even though I had one eye closed and the other one opened up with a toothpick after only having about eight hours in Cleveland uh, to uh, in between flights. So um, really not a whole lot to report here. I do have some other news, uh, you know, for those folks in the sports world that follow me. I see a few people in the chat room talking about it, and that is that my uh, beloved Patriots uh, are going to the Super Bowl yet again. Uh, however, this time it's in my hometown here in Atlanta. Uh, so, oh, you're going to probably go out there and buy a couple of tickets and uh, enjoy the game live. I was thinking about doing Do it. that. Do it. The only problem Wait, is I have is I have expensive. I have a matter of principle. The principle is I am willing to spend the money for the tickets, which are exorbitantly expensive, about in between four to five grand for the nosebleeds per seat. So Julie and I each. So just imagine ten thousand dollars to go see a game for four hours. Uh, but it, it, and I was willing to do that. But my my the problem that I have in principle is why should I pay somebody at a ticketing outlet? Such as uh, I'm not going to use their names. Well, can I use their names? Yeah, Stub, sure. StubHub yeah. and <laughs> StubHub and um, um, what's the other one? The big one. Um, Ticketmaster. Ticketmaster. Yeah, Ticketmaster. And Ace Tickets and every other one, even the NFL themselves. Every one of them decides that okay, on the internet you can buy the ticket. You can't buy it locally because they called the local stadium uh, to buy it locally. So you have to buy it through one of these outlets. By the way, that's monopolizing, and each one of them add a ticketing fee for each ticket. One would think it would be reasonable, about 100 bucks each. Oh, no, 10 times that. $1,000 per ticket, just under $1,000, added in in just a fee to have the ticket issued. So if I can't get around that, then no, I will not be going to the game live. I will be going to some of the events uh, Dana, 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 it's just a tip, mate. A tip. A tip? Thousand yeah, dollars? Tip. You're tipping them. That's all. That's the nice American yeah. way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a little I more see your point, Nick. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> oh, shut up, man. Wow. wow. I'll leave that one alone. I will, I promise. And so, m- more on the aviation front, I've been uh, diligently the last couple of days it, at home here. Uh, studying my butt off because uh, the next two days, which I'll talk about on the next uh, podcast, hopefully if I'm available uh, to when you're recording, is uh, my recurrent training. It will be my first recurrent training as a captain, and it appears as though we'll be doing some pretty interesting stuff, uh, one of which is um, we're going to be doing a uh, emergency descent in the mountains, mountainous terrain, which we don't often on this airplane uh, fly around. 
So it'll be a little different uh, thought process involved there, as well as uh, we're doing a ditch in the ocean. We're ditching the airplane. So uh, those are a couple things they want us to be comfortable if we ever have to do a uh, landing. Be comfortable with ditching in the ocean. (laughs) Yeah, you know, this is how it is going to be done. Um, But, uh, yeah, so those are a couple of the highlights. And this uh, go-around is an LOE, which is line-oriented check ride. So day number two will be basically flying from either Seattle to Portland or JFK to Philadelphia. And at some point in the normal flight and operation, we will have some type of abnormal that we need to deal with. So, And it's usually something very ordinary, really. Yeah, something like a tail compartment temp high or medical emergency or yeah. you know, something along those lines. Well, I did something the same profile. likely to see. No. Yeah. Yeah. And not compound emergency. Not like the uh, the good old days when they used to Everything all fails kinds of, all at once. Good yeah, luck. it was uh, not very realistic at all. Um, but uh, I went through that, uh, Dana, in November, and it was a very gentlemanly kind of a visit. When you've been captain for about 400 years, like you have, <laughs> it's pretty gentlemanly. When it's me, who has uh, about, uh, about 220 hours in the left seat right now, uh, yeah, not so easy. <laughs> yes, I know, I'm, I know I've been flying the airplane forever. But moving in, we'll get to this a little later on, but moving the 36 inches from one seat to the other is a complete different, uh, it's a complete different odyssey. So I'll talk about that, Lynn, to talk about that a little bit later on in the show. Okay. I was looking for my sound clip. Where is the love? But I uh, cannot find it anywhere. <laughs> I stopped too, stopped too soon for you, Jeff. Huh? Uh, I thought you were looking at that little violin sound. Yeah, there it is. More or less violin. No, I was, I was think, I was more concerned about the fact that, you know, all those nice comments he makes about my age, oh, and that's how true. long I've been. You still here? I know. Mind you, I, I've got a, I've got a long memory. I remember when first officer Dana used to, uh, you know, complain about captains and how easy it was to sit in their seats, and I remember all those comments. We ought to go back to a few shows ago and listen to them. Yeah, how easy it is to sit in that seat. My seat, <laughs> the FOC was fantastic. No, no, the captain's seat. Those damn captains, they don't know a thing. They don't do a thing. Yeah. yeah. Well, no, that they didn't know a thing about outside the flight deck, and they want to tell everybody that they, they, you know, the rampers and the gate agents and everybody else what they're not doing right. That's what I was referring. There to. are some that are like that, but. Uh, I haven't flown with any of those in quite some time because I've been a captain for a long time <laughs> and I'm not one of those guys. No, I don't try to tell people not. how to do their job. Uh-huh. No, because, uh, because you do walk arounds when it's like minus 30 degrees. Oh, I did that on my last, well, I'll talk about that later. Yeah. Okay. Not well, thanks Dana. Um, so what do you, what are you going to do for the uh, Super Bowl? Are you going to have a party at your house or you're going to go to somewhere else? One of two things are going to happen. I do have some friends that have contacted me from the Northeast that are coming down to partake in some of the uh, Super Bowl activities because it's not only just Sunday. It's a, it's a week and a half, I think, of all the activities over at the NFL experience. So going to have some guests come in town and um, we're going to try to get tickets. Uh, without paying those exorbitant fees. I do have my feelers out with local friends that are trying to work on some tickets. For Watch out, everybody. He's got his feelers out. Yes, I do. Be careful. But uh, so if I can if I can score some tickets through some friends, then we'll be going. If all else fails, then I'll be at my normal North River Tavern 
mm-hmm. uh, which is the Patriots Club, where all of my uh, family, my Patriots family, we all just down out. the road from where I am. Yeah, it's in Roswell, Georgia. I've been if, there. I've been there. Oh, that's right. There. Uh, yeah, I was there when he was there too. Yeah, no, that's true. You do it. Yeah. Um, what was I going to say? Dang it! And, and, you're, and you're tied up. And you're tied up Super Bowl Sunday, so you won't be able to come hang out with me if that's the case. Huh? Oh yeah, I'm going. I'm going to a uh, another party. Yes, to which I've been invited. See, because at my house, nobody wants to watch the Super Bowl. Not even the commercials. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, uh, what? Super what? Not even yeah. your son. Well, my son's down in Florida, but he's not a big football fan either. But uh, yeah. Oh well. <sighs> anyway, so let's move over to the young lady on the screen that's farthest to the right on my screen anyway. That's furthest right on mine as well. Good. Matches. Steph, yes. what have you been up to? Oh, just a few things. Um, when did we record last week? Monday, I think? Tuesday. 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 Yeah, we Tuesday. did it early in the week. Yeah. 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 So. Oh, like, yeah, a week ago. A week ago. Right. So on Thursday, um, worked my usual half day and then went straight to the airport, caught a flight down to Miami and met up with three of my girlfriends that evening. And um, the next day we departed for our uh, yearly or our annual three night Bahamas cruise. So I just got back from that yesterday. Um Thursday night, had some wonderful Cuban food in Miami. That was really nice. Got up early on Friday, went for a nice 10-mile run in really nice, warm Miami weather along the beach. And uh, we had a wonderful couple of days in the Bahamas. Um, Sorry to everyone in the Great White North, but it was 80 degrees and sunny for both days that we were there. A couple of rain showers in the afternoon on Sunday, um, but not a big deal. our beach day was Saturday on Coco Cay, which is, I guess, Royal Caribbean's private island in the in the Bahamas. And uh, beautiful, sunny weather, light breeze, warm water. Um, yeah, we, we basically sat on the beach for, I don't know, six hours, seven hours. Very relaxing. Very nice. Had to go back to reality, back to work today. Um, not a big deal, though. I think the next month or so every other weekend i've got something on the calendar um speaking of which um that includes a trip to utah in mid-february and i know some people on slack have been asking about a potential meetup i had not responded to that yet because i didn't know what flights i was planning on taking or what my um, free time might be like but that is um, becoming a little bit clearer so be on the lookout for that it looks like it might actually be a wednesday afternoon evening the 13th of february uh, for a salt lake city get together if folks are in the area. Um, so be on the lookout on Slack for that if you're part of our Slack team. And the calendar, the APG community calendar, which is on the uh, website, Airline Pilot Guy calendar. And if you're a Slack team member, you'll also get notifications. Yes, I can, I can certainly add that to the APG calendar as well when we get times and details uh, a little bit more firmed up. Yay, that'd be great. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and to get, uh, get, get your running, uh, I know you talked about running in Miami, but, uh, how about when you were on the cruise, you probably weren't able to run. Yeah, no, I got at least a mile each day. Um, let me think here. Saturday did a mile on the track. The track was tiny. It was eight laps per mile. <laughs> so it's a lot of times around and around in a circle around the pool on the, the upper deck. Uh, we were on the Mariner of the seas. Um, 
a bigger boat than we've taken in past years for this particular cruise, which kind of had its, its ups and downs. Um, it was nice because there were a lot of activities to do, but on a three night cruise where you have two full days where you're, um, not on the ship, uh, you kind of run out of time to do all the activities that they have available on the boat. Um, so there are a lot of things that we didn't get to. We did, um, <laughs> spent a lot of time on the water slides on Sunday and we also went ice skating on the ship, which was interesting. Ice um, skating. Mm -hmm. They have an ice skating rink on the ship. Wow. We did not get to see the actual ice skating show because they put on a, a show. Um, Is it a big rink? It's it's decent size. It's I've actually decent seen, size. Yeah. I've actually seen that show, Dr. Steph, and it's yeah. unbelievable. I saw it on the very first cruise I took, but that was over 10 years ago. We were on a ship that had an ice skating rink as well. We just went down for the free skate at like 11 p.m. on Sunday night. And then we actually, um, it had been kind of rainy in the afternoon and cloudy. Didn't think we were actually going to be able to see the um, eclipse, but it cleared up enough that we were able to get a, a glimpse of it from our balcony. Uh, just oh, before. the super blood, super wolf, blood moon. wolf moon eclipse, whatever. Um, <laughs> it looked like a normal lunar eclipse to me, but yeah. always excited, exciting to see one of those. Well, that's interesting. And I did run two miles on the treadmill on Sunday to finish answering your question. Ah, good. Got to keep that going, right? Yeah. And uh, yeah. Got a couple of races coming up. Excellent. What's the what's the first race of the year, Steph? It will be a half marathon at Folly Beach, South Carolina, which is kind Ooh. of Charleston area. Um, yeah, I like that beach. February 2nd. So We rented a a place there several years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, really liked it. Kind of laid back. Yeah, it looked like a really nice event. Um, kind of smallish, um, but on the beach, flat. Hopefully the weather will be okay. It's basically two weeks from now. I even recorded a crew log, a captain's log. Oh, really? On Folly Beach. Huh. Yeah. I don't remember it. Yeah, it was a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure I probably listened to it, maybe. Yeah. Oh, yeah, sure. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um Captain Nick, how yes, have you been, sir? Uh, ticket VG, thank you very much, Jeff. Just eased my way home from a JFK where we did the last show and been off on days off since, since this is my part-time period of days off. Um, so, uh, you know, getting ready to put my tax return in. Can't wait to do that. Uh, Sorting the car out. Got my roster. Looks good. Uh, picked up a... Uh, a Washington, uh, JFK, a Boston, another JFK, and a two-night Miami. So that's a reasonable combination for next month. So a bit of a busy month, but there you go. What about um, Atlanta? Say again, sorry? What about Atlanta? Why aren't you coming Sadly here? not. I don't know why that hasn't appeared. I bid for it, but uh, obviously not my month to get top of the pile, perhaps. I don't know about that. I was uh, just on this trip that I finished flying, coming into Atlanta uh, behind an Acme Red 340-600. Uh, yeah, well, unfortunately, of course, I'm not actually uh, current on the 340 at the moment. I need to perhaps, uh, my next sim sessions will probably be on the 340, so I should get current. Uh, but we'll be coming up very close to the uh, end of my career by then, so there's not a lot of point. But, uh, yeah, that's well, a beautiful airplane, though. Oh, we certainly is. Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and uh, the bad news was, of course, I, I think I mentioned on the last show that uh, uh, the uh, my hound, one of my dogs, was unwell. Well, we've had the results of the biopsy, and it turns out that it's pretty aggressive uh, cancer. 
Um, it's one that just dogs can get, a cancer of the blood vessels. Um, and uh, it's actually called the silent killer because quite frequently uh, the dog passes away without, you know, without any warning and no one knows, uh, you know, uh, that it was about to happen um, because the dog hemorrhages and, and dies quite quickly. Mm-hmm. But we uh, got at the tumor, uh, which was great, but uh, it had already started to bleed, which means that the cancer is probably going to reoccur and it's uh, – it's going to be only a matter of probably weeks, perhaps months, if I'm if we're lucky, before mm. she she uh, disappears out of our life, but not out of our memory, because of course she's a fabulous dog. You never forget your dogs, mm. uh, and we're just going to make, do our best to enjoy the last few uh, weeks or months with her as best we can. Indeed. Well, Sorry to hear that news, but. You know, like yeah, you said, it is like you said earlier, it's it's a part of having dogs and uh exactly you do what you can yeah. to enjoy that time you have with them. Yeah, yeah. We've got uh th- three uh buried in the we haven't lived in this house that long, it seems, but we've got three old girls buried out in the garden and uh now this will make four. So uh yeah, we're getting quite a little graveyard out there. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So sorry, Nick. Yeah. Uh, but there's uh, harder times to come, but at the moment, uh, we're just going to uh, enjoy how well she's around. Very good. Very good. Ooh, hey, can I add one thing? Kind of a... Nope, uh, nope. You had your turn. <laughs> <laughs> now go ahead. He's a tough master. <laughs> I know. Anyway, go ahead, I'll go back to uh, the Bahamas for a moment. Um, uh, we spent our day in Nassau on Sunday and did a little bit of shopping. Um, not a big shopper but we stopped into kind of the straw market just look at like the local goods and um i don't know if i've shown it here on the show before but i've had i have a a little uh, decorative airplane made out of pbr beer cans which has become kind of um old and faded and you know cobwebs and things like that because i keep it outside but i was able to find a little airplane made of coca-cola cans (laughs) (laughs) it's got a little propeller on a straw so uh, you How put well it down does it fly? Uh, I, not very well, I don't think. I think this would be, oh. yeah, it's got a little bit, it looks like the uh, props have been bent a few times, and I'm not sure what's going on here. It's like it'd be a very high wing loading. Yeah. The wings yeah, are yeah, very yeah. long. But anyway, I just thought that was cute. Oh, cool. I meant to point that out. I was excited for my small purchase in the Bahamas. Anyway. Very nice. Supporting local economy. That's what you do. That's right. That's right. Exactly. So they didn't have a Tiffany's then? Uh, you know, I don't know if they actually do. They probably they have some high end jewelers there, but I did not go in those stores. So. Good for you, Steph. Good yeah. for you. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's see. I was on a trip after our. No, I was actually on it. Was I on a trip when we recorded last week? I think so. Yes. Yeah, yes, I was in Charleston, was. and then uh, the next day we were in Huntsville, Alabama, where we had a little meetup, a little mini. APG meetup. It was a last minute kind of thing and uh, met up with, um, well, here, I'm going to, instead of telling you everything that I'm going to talk about in my audio feedback or audio clip here, let me just play the audio clip. I forgot I have to go over here to this computer to do that so that you can hear it. I can hear it just fine, but you won't be able to hear it. So here we go. Hey folks, we're at the, what would we call this? Big O's. B-I-G-O-H apostrophe S. And uh, it's a Korean fusion restaurant in 
down downtown Huntsville, Alabama, on a layover here, and I uh, was very fortunate to contact a couple of uh, guys that are living here in the area, and uh, they are here uh, with us at the table at the restaurant. We just finished this wonderful Korean barbecue meal, and uh, we're just talking aviation and all kinds of good stuff, and I just wanted to have you hear from them. We'll start with Brett Seymour. Here you go, Brett. Hey, I'm Brett Seymour, and I've been listening to the Airline Pilot Guy for, I don't know, five or six years now, and saw that Jeff was in Huntsville and reached out on Twitter and decided to create the inaugural Huntsville, Alabama meetup. So we have a, a huge crowd here, Yeah. and uh and we're hoping that next time maybe we'll have enough room for everybody. I think there's a couple people out 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 in the streets waiting to get in. It's but cold uh, out there too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really really cold here. And <laughs> no, but really I'm glad that that Jeff took time out of his uh, day to come down here and and meet a couple aviation nerds and talk flying for a while. So it was enjoyable. Thanks for thanks for uh, having us here. It was all my pleasure. It always is. This is a lot of fun. And uh, listening to, hearing about your backstory and what you guys do for a living and your families and what the future holds for both of you is just uh, really encouraging for me. So thank you. I'm, I'm glad that uh, you reached out and I'm glad that we uh, got a chance to meet up together. And I'm uh, going to hand the microphone over here to Andrew. Hey, yeah, so it was a pleasure to finally meet Jeff here in the Rocket City. Um, just telling him how I missed the New York meetup a week or two ago, and uh, now that uh, I'm home in Huntsville, I uh, realized they were having a Huntsville meetup, and it was awesome to finally meet Jeff. And, uh, yeah, huge turnout. Um, <laughs> for, for, yeah, for the inaugural Huntsville Rocket City Republic uh, APG meetup. But I'm uh, going to try and encourage Jeff to uh, continue to have these Huntsville meetups. Uh, me and uh, Brett are going to go out and recruit. So next time, uh, we might have to find a bigger venue. But, uh, yeah, it was an honor, pleasure. Uh, dinner was great. And uh, even had a little IPA action. So thanks, Jeff. Thank you. And uh, Andrew sent in the feedback regarding the helicopter pattern at... Uh, no, don't bring that up. Okay, never mind. <laughs> yeah, I don't know who this guy is. He's never sent feedback. All right. Well, uh, with that, it's time for us to sign off, and it's been a blast. Great meeting you guys. Back to you, Jeff, in the studio. Well, thanks, Jeff. That was a lot of fun. Anyway, I uh, had a great had a great meetup there in Huntsville, Alabama, at uh, the Big O's. Uh, a, a little uh, Korean couple that started this restaurant some time ago and uh, it's really good food so if you're, if you're in the area you should check it out and uh, as both Andrew and uh, Brett said uh, we're, we're going to have to do this again in the future and before I forget I promised Brett that I would uh, give a shout out to his kids Evan and Ella Seymour hello Evan and Ella hey guys Shout out to you from the APG crew. <laughs> Glad you're listening. He said that they listened to the show as well. I guess they're forced to because they're probably, you know, in in the car captive, and they have to listen to whatever dad's listening to. But uh, yeah, cool. anyway, we we appreciate you uh, at least saying that you enjoy it. 
to humor yes. your your dad. Yeah, yeah keep it up, keep, keep it up too. because uh, dad will be paying for things for quite some time, and mom. So, yeah, got to make them happy. <laughs> okay, um, yeah. So speaking of meetups, oh wait, before I talk about that, let's see. Uh, so that was my trip that I was on last week, Tuesday through Thursday, I believe. And uh, over the weekend, uh, the weather started going downhill, especially for places in the north of our country, north, northeast. And I'm thinking, hmm, let me take a look at what's going on here with uh, the uh, assignment of trips. And I'm thinking, oh, it looks like they're giving out some green slips, so maybe I should put my name in the hat. There was one that I think I should have gotten, and I was all about to, you know, call somebody and say, hey, why didn't I get that? Because it looks like it met all the parameters that I had in. I may still do that, actually. But the next day, uh, a, a trip came up, a two-day green slip that I flew. So I flew out on Sunday morning up to, let's see, where is the worst weather in the country? Hmm. Let's go there, Rochester, New York, where the uh, snow was going like crazy and the temperatures were very, very chilly. Our Canadian friends will sympathize with me, I think, or empathize. And uh, so just one leg up to Rochester and uh, had a nice long layover there, but I stayed. Normally I go to uh, Dinosaur Barbecue, walk down the street a few blocks. This time I did not because it was really cold. It was below zero temperatures and with the wind chill, I don't, I'm not sure exactly how cold it was. So uh, next day uh, went to Atlanta and then did a bur- uh, Baltimore turn. And, and I thought, you know, this guy, this first officer, you know, he was out there in that cold weather in Rochester, dark and windy and cold. I'm thinking I should probably do the walk around since it's his leg back to Atlanta. So um, I volunteered to do that. And that was a big mistake because it was not very pleasant outside at all. I'm thinking, what in the world am I doing? About the first half I've of it, I was okay. Mistake. I got around the tail and I don't know if the wind, because I wasn't, it wasn't being blocked or whatever, but I really thought that I was going to get frostbite on my ears. I had gloves on and I had an overcoat, but, uh, and I had my hat on, but I didn't have, I should have had like a watch cap or something like that. Like Michael Cochran gave me a watch cap that I didn't take with me from, uh, his life flight, um, company. He gave that to me a couple of years ago. I should have had that with me. I did not. And, uh, I got back in. It was like 18 degrees ambient temperature uh, Fahrenheit, but the winds were gusting to 39 knots. Ugh. So Ugh. I'm not sure what that wind chill would be, but it was cold. darn cold. <laughs> I got in and almost almost collapsed right there once I got into the jetway when passengers were boarding. They're looking at me like, what is wrong with this guy? Like, I'm going <laughs> to fly you to Atlanta now. And I Yay. Said, <laughs> I said to my first officer, if I ever volunteer to do a walk around with these kind of conditions slap me please because obviously i'm some, there's something wrong with me i might point out that uh the captains on my uh, outfit do their fair share of walk rounds whenever we're the non-handling pilot uh, we will do the walk around unless we've got a heavy crew but i don't get many heavy crews nowadays we have a heavy well let's crew don't talk there. about their weight come on that's not very nice <laughs> Get so, a heavy crew, I'll send the third man out. At our, at our company, technically, the operations manual says it is the 
first officer's duty to, or you know, their role to do the external pre-flight or exterior pre-flight. But I, I'm not sure how you know what percentage of captains do it. But uh, I, I, I do. Think, but then again, I'm a new guy on the block. But I every single time I have the opportunity to, I do actually do my F, FOs walk around. So whenever yeah, it's his like leg. Yeah, if it's their leg, that's what I normally do as well, unless something else is going on that needs my attention or I need to go get a cup of coffee. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> but uh, what I should do is I should probably set, and I've heard this used before, like if it's below 32 degrees or if it's raining or snowing or icing or whatever, then no, I'm not doing it. But uh, anyway, so that's that. And then uh, here we are today recording the show. I'm back out tomorrow on a three-day trip. I have layovers in uh, Melbourne, Florida and Little Rock, Arkansas. So if any of you out there, of course, by the time you hear this podcast, you probably will. Uh, it'll be too far in the future. But again, we'd like to emphasize that we try to update the uh, APG community calendar as uh, much as we can. And you'll see the entry in there, our trips and that kind of thing. You'll see that I'm on this trip and I left a number for you to text or call. And if you want to get together and uh, let's see, also don't forget um, Tiffany Walsh, our APG librarian is uh, doing a wonderful job with the APG library um, page on the website. So thank you, Tiffany for that. And uh, believe uh, she's going to be in Columbus next month and they're hopefully going to have some sort of uh, a meetup in Columbus, Ohio. And if I get a chance, maybe I can fly up to Columbus and meet up with you all you as well. All of you as well. Um, let's see. Speaking, continuing about uh, meetups on the 1st of February, a couple days before the Super Bowl, uh, Robert, Richard, Rob, Rich, Dick Fairbairn is going to be Fairbairn is going to be in town here in Atlanta. And we're going to have an Atlanta APG meetup Again, Robert, that's Friday night. Robert, your Robert. timing is miserable, Robert. Miserable. <laughs> that's all I have to say. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I guess Dana won't be there. Um, hopefully we'll have some of the local uh, APG community showing up. And uh, again, look to Slack and the APG community calendar for updates on you know the venue you know where when and where on friday night february 1st and perhaps we'll go to that uh we had a meet up there once uh dana the loyal q and brew mm. and uh, that worked out well so maybe we'll kind of head up that way again for this meetup we'll see so, uh, but see now i think you, i remember you texted me that it's going to be saturday Did no it it's going to be no, it's going to be Friday now because um, something changed with uh, Robert's uh, itinerary. Ah, well, that might be make a difference. Yeah. Anyway, right. well, well, if you were on the Slack team, Danny, you would have saw that uh, update. Well, to, I've actually been very busy studying versus looking at Slack. Nah, this week. Whatever. Priorities. Where yeah. are your priorities? In the right place. <laughs> yeah, in the right place. Also, uh, later next month um, at the Delta Flight Museum is an event called Hops in the Hangar, and I'll be going there. I know Steve and Ivy will be going as well. And I I'm have sure tickets. That... I don't know if I can make it. but Oh, I really? Have awesome. So maybe. Where are you going? You're Julie going? And I, Julie and I are going. I just have to buy the tickets. Oh, okay. Well, I think I know somebody that has some. 
Yeah, you want me yeah. just buying from you, Steph? I actually, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Let me know before okay. I buy him. Well, anyway, who knows who will be there, but uh, at least a, two or three of us uh, from the crew will be, uh, or a couple, of, at least I will. No, I've, wa- I've wanted to go for the past few years and not been able to, so yeah, me purchase too. tickets being optimistic, and we'll see. Oh. All right, I'll just buy my own. And uh, hopefully they're still on sale. The uh, first class uh, tickets went, uh, got snapped up very quickly. Oh, within like a few hours. Yeah, like within two hours. I think when I tried to go on, it was only like an hour and a half after they opened relegated up. to economy. Yeah. Ugh. So, oh, wow. I know how painful that is for you, Steph. It's, it's, it's a shock <laughs> to the system. It's what it is. <laughs> anyway, so if you're in the Atlanta area, uh, join us at the Hops in the Hangar at the Delta Flight Museum on the 23rd of February. <sighs> okay. I think that's it. Anything else before we move on to um, corrections? Erat, eratum. Eratum? Uh, eratum. Um, so this was sent in by Ruben. He says, no need to read this out, but we're going to, but a correction to what Nick said, because it's Nick, uh, oh, that's why you're reading it out. Yes. I'm the only one that gets corrected. (laughs) No, 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 no. You're not the only one that gets corrected. I get corrected a lot more than you do. Um, anyway, uh, we were talking about on episode 357 about in the U S when we, screw things up. We hear the dreaded, uh, let me know when you're ready to copy this telephone number. And you, I think, well, here, I'll read what Ruben says. It's, it absolutely does happen in the UK. I've heard it multiple times, but luckily I've never been the recipient of such a message. The occasions when I've heard it have been when general aviation air, aircraft have busted one of the control zones or the London TMA in and around the Southeast. It's easy to do if you're not paying attention or are unfamiliar with the airspace. The CAA take a pretty tough line in the UK for airspace busts these days, and in some cases will immediately suspend a license whilst the matter is investigated. In less serious incidents, the pilots may be offered a mandatory uh, airspace infringement awareness course. Well, that sounds like it'd be a lot of fun. And then he gives us a a PDF uh, link where you can read all about that. And then he says, he ends, hence, if asked to call the London airspace controller on 0207 dot, 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 upon landing, it's not going to be good news. Ruben. Thanks, Ruben. It doesn't surprise me that Ruben knows all about this. And I'm not (laughs) sure I believe him when he says it was everybody else, but not him. But, uh, Mm There you go. It just goes to show how squeaky clean I have been throughout my 45 years of flying. The fact that I was so completely unaware of (laughs) this procedure in the UK, because I've never heard of it. So there you go. That sounds to me like it might be the kind of frequencies that you're not normally on or listening to. Yeah, yeah, I guess it's the Naughty Boys frequencies. So, uh, (laughs) yeah. Uh, interesting. Well, thank, thanks for the education, Ruben. I stand yeah. corrected, or actually, I sit corrected right now. Excellent. All right. Um, moving on, I think it might now be time for the part of the show where we do the coffee fund. Johnny, how much more coffee? No, thanks. I love coffee, I love tea, I love the APG community, coffee and tea, and the Java and me, 
a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup. That's the Java Jive, sung by the Jeff Smith. And the Coffee Fund is your way to support the show financially. And if you have the resources to do so, check it out by heading over to airlinepilotguide.com slash coffee. And since the last show, we, we didn't have any Classic Fund contributors last week, but this week they made up for it. Let's see. We'll start with Terry Liu, uh, Chris Randall, Jonathan Charlton, Seng Wainung. Hope I didn't butcher your name too much there. And Timothy Chippendall. Oh, we have one of the Chippendall. Oh, Chippendall, not Chippendale. Oh, oh well. Sorry, Steph. And uh, patrons via patreon.com. We have a new executive producer, Aaron Ort. Where's Ort? Well, he's right there in the chat room. Thank you, Ort, Aaron, for becoming a patron of the show via patreon.com. So, if you want to join the Coffee Fun Cadre, please head over to the airlinepilotguy.com slash, not the airline, airlinepilotguy.com slash coffee. You'll be glad you did. We will, too. Stand by for news. I should probably play. Let's see what happens when I hit this button. That's not the one I wanted. Ah, let's see. <laughs> Are all these buttons completely unmarked and you just have no, to. No, they're all marked. It's just there are like so many of them. It's like hard to see. And I could only assign one item to B, and that's bell. That makes more sense. We hit the bell all the time. Um, now, what I'm looking for is bad boys. There it is. It's under O. <laughs> Makes sense. Bad boys, bad boys and girls. All right, let's talk about the first two items in our news folder. The first one, Malaysia's Melindo Air Crew in a Australian $20 million drug smuggling syndicate say say australian police uh cabin crew of international airline melindo air have been accused of being members of a smuggling syndicate bringing illegal drugs from malaysia to australia it was reported on wednesday january 16th this is from the straits times eight people were arrested in melbourne over the past fortnight as part of an operation targeting a syndicate responsible for smuggling more than 20 million australian dollars worth of high-grade heroin and methamphetamine police said in a statement looks like and, i picked the wrong week to quit methamphetamines <laughs> oh i would i need to have that clip <laughs> it'd be a good Darn one it. to have <laughs> yes uh remind me uh by the way i do have i don't know i'm sure you you never listened to the show after the fact but uh the uh the sound clip of um you saying uh shut up jeff Oh, good. Uh, I did make that a clip. I just nice. can't see it right offhand. But, uh, and I played it three times in a row very quickly. 
<laughs> because he said, <laughs> can you do it like that? I said, yes. Anyway, uh, check out episode 358 uh, where Steph tells me to shut up. You'll enjoy it. I know I did. Uh, let's see. So investigators allege allege drugs were carried on the bodies of cabin crew flying from Malaysia to Melbourne to, and Sydney. Uh, so we have that. Looks like they got busted, which is uh, probably not going to be good for their careers, nor the nor their lives. And uh, we'll have the all the details in the show notes if you want to read more about that. There was also another case of smuggling, and this is from abcnews.go.com. Uh, if the four oversized checked bags don't give you away, the drug-sniffing dog will. Two men found that out the hard way at Nashville International Airport last week when they allegedly tried to smuggle 159 pounds of marijuana through the city on their way to Jacksonville. Uh, Trung Kyu, 40 years old of Philadelphia, and Tin Van Tran. Oh, Tin Van Ram? No. Sounds like it. Sounds I like it. Looks he was a sketchy character. This is the Asian Tim Van Ram. <laughs> His doppelganger? Yeah. Okay. 56-year-old Tin Van Tran of Murphy, Texas, were busted when a drug-sniffing German shepherd foiled their plans of transporting dozens of plastic bags of weed. Are those dogs allowed to sniff drugs? Isn't that, isn't that well, a bit apparently, cruel? Apparently, that's the wow. reward. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. The duo even went to the extreme of trying to mask the luggage's smell with the strong odor of air freshener, Nashville police said. Uh, like yeah, that, that won't give it away. Oh, boy. So, uh, let's see. Police found 159 pounds of marijuana in four suitcases at the Nashville International Airport. The two men were arrested on felony charges. So, um, I don't know how many people smuggle drugs and get away with it, but uh, apparently you don't always. So, here's well, a some advice for you. Don't do it. Yeah. I mean, not in those kind of colleges. That's stupid. And I'm interested to know whether the Australians will uh, um, export these Malaysian people back to their country of origin to be uh, charged because, of course, there's a death penalty in Malaysia for drug activities for selling oh, really? drugs. Yeah, oh, yes. Even, even small amounts of possession of drugs can incur the death penalty. So uh, Yikes. That's, you'd have thought that would be a sufficiently high um you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, uh, that word. I know, yeah, I, that, I know what you, I'm thinking of it too. Yeah. There you go. Someone help. Oh, <laughs> Steph. But yeah, oh, yeah. Deterrent. That's the word. That's very good. You Can broke you up edit? a little bit. I'm sorry. What was the question? Uh, uh, no, right. No, no, uh, no. You can't use that as yeah, an excuse. No, every work. show, Steph. So uh, anyway, that, every show? Yeah. <laughs> I, I use it all the time. I get away with it. You really did just break up. <laughs> Oh. I don't think it was broken up while you were asking the question, but <laughs> HR. <laughs> Sorry, what was it? HR. Very yeah. important. To... Exactly right. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, I, I noticed uh, that uh, the Aussies managed to link them to a group in uh, Melbourne, and uh, they seized luxury cars and hundreds and thousands of dollars in cash and drugs. Wow, uh, that means the police are going to be driving around in some nice new cars now. <laughs> now, Nick. Oh, okay. Post Captain out. Nick at airlinepilotguy.com. That's for those. <laughs> that's for the police. Okay. 
Um, anything else to say about that other than just don't do it, right? Don't don't smoke yeah, don't drugs. Do it. That's oh. stupid. Particularly if you if your crew, I mean, we have enough problems uh, getting through security without everyone suspecting us of this as well. It makes our life a nightmare. It does. It does. You know, and the only thing I have to say is, aren't we held responsible if something is on our airplane, even though we're not really, no, you know, if somebody stows something away in the cargo hold? No. I, I'm not. I'm not, but the first officer is. Good. <laughs> I was just asking the question. Everything rolls downhill. No, no. We are a commander yeah. of the aircraft. Yeah, yeah but that's, uh, that's uh, no. Okay. That's, uh, well, I know, I know how to get around the system. I mean, if oh, it was without your knowledge. <laughs> he knows now, people. if you were the one placing it there. Yeah, well then, story. yeah, you don't have any excuse there. Yeah, yeah no, no. I, I would never do such a thing. It's crazy. It's stupid. Unless you needed to sell some stuff to pay for those Super Bowls. Yeah, that is very true. I may, have, I may be canceling the trip to Hawaii <laughs> to pay for the Super Bowl tickets. What? Trip to Hawaii? Oh, I didn't mention that? No. no. Oh, Maybe sorry. a while ago? I don't know. Uh, anyways, continue. Okay. Well, I'll priorities. Again, priorities. Yeah, priorities. You've told your lovely wife yet that she's not That's, going to Hawaii. Uh, yeah. I think she's probably a bigger Patriot one. fan than Dana is. Right. She's the one making that decision. By the, by the way, it's for our 20th anniversary. Oh, yeah, so what? It's the Patriots and the Super Bowl. Come on. Yeah, you'll have another That, that never happens, Dana. When <laughs> yeah, was the last time the Patriots nine. went to the Super Bowl? It never true. happens in Atlanta. That's true. Tom Brady being the last time he's going to be the quarterback, more than likely, in the Super Bowl for the Patriots. Yeah, right. probably right. The Wait, in five years' time, it'll be your 25th, and that's much more important. Yes, yeah, that's much more important. Good point. Nice one, Nick. We're going green. We're going green. We're going to take care of the earth. We're going green. All right. This next item in our folder here. On Wednesday, an Etihad Airways Boeing 787 in Abu Dhabi embarked on a roughly seven-hour flight to Amsterdam with its tank full of a mixture of jet fuel and biofuel. The biofuel was derived from oil pressed out of salicornia plants. Salicornia? Salicornia. Like California, uh, which requires salt water to grow. The Gulf News reported that a full 50% of the jet fuel needed to take the plane to its destination was biofuel, which is an extraordinarily high ratio of biofuel to jet fuel, if this report is correct. This is from, uh, let's see, where did I get this story? Hmm. Ars Technica. Um Previous notable flights using biofuel have included a Qantas flight that used a 10% blend of mustard seed oil, a, an Acme Red flight that used 5% blend of fuel made from industrial waste gas, an Alaska Airlines flight, <laughs> not, not oh, Captain L, oh. um, and let's see. We're all see. thinking the same thing there. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> An Alaska Airlines flight that used 20% uh, blend of fuel made from waste wood from Pacific Northwest timber harvests and a series of United Airlines flights that used a 30% blend of biofuel from various sources. International fuel specification groups have set a limit on biofuel blending requiring that planes fuel be no more than 50% due to safety concerns. Generally, cost is a limiting factor for companies synthesizing and blending biofuels. Uh, so I... Did a little research on, well, actually the article continues uh, regarding this uh, Salicornia 
plant. It's, um, let's see, SBRC, I guess the outfit that developed the biofuel that was used on the Etihad flight, uh, combined the Salicornia crop with a fish and shrimp farm in Mazdar City, right next door to the Abu Dhabi International Airport. Uh, Salicornia is a genus of succulent that grows in salt water, meaning it doesn't consume valuable potable water in the desert. The plants are also fertilized by the fish, and any unused fertilized water is diverted to a mangrove forest adjacent to the two he- hectare. How do you pronounce it? Hector? Hector. 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 Yeah. Uh, Salicornia plot. How do they train the fish to go and fertilize the the plants? Fish uh, urine. I yeah, know, but you've got to train them to go and pee on the plants, haven't you? I mean, that's that's quite clever. Yeah, they're pretty pee, smart. They pee and poop in the water. Yeah. Yeah. Probably just well, happens it's, naturally. It's, uh, it's just part of life. They pee and poop on seaweed instead of this plant. I don't know. But uh, <laughs> I'm not sure. But I mean, are they anyway. trying to train them to actually have fish? Well, well it says the, copulation. The plants, uh, first they fish population. Fish plants. You guys are talking over each other. Cut it out. <laughs> he's, he's on a six-second delay ahead of us. Send it out in post. <laughs> yeah, no. Nope. I'm going to leave it all in there. By the way, I need to, on one of our breaks, I'm going to get my, my new P-shirt. P- T-shirt. <laughs> That's a completely you can't name this show Fish Urine as well, Jeff. Uh, I, I got pee in my mind. Is, the- is that shirt a bit smelly? <laughs> yeah. I have to watch it. Wash it often. Okay, that's enough. I can't of that story. see this stuff working in the states. You know, <laughs> okay. I mean, you guys are cheapskates. You you won't even pay uh, to to have uh, um, Jet A one because it costs a bit more to make it. You're never going to pay to have uh, all this seaweed or plants crushed up and made into biofuel. Only if I'm we sure can figure right. out a way to do it cheaper. Yep. Well, yeah, what's cheaper than watching it glug out the ground, for heaven's sake, yeah. Yeah, not much. No. Until All right. it doesn't glug out of the ground anymore. Exactly. Let's uh, continue. Uh, this was an interesting one. I, I, I got a kick out of this. So it seems that um, the governor's uh, inauguration was going to happen on like the 19th, I think, of January just uh, not too many days ago. And part of the festivities were going to include a C-17, a military, a big, heavy. Mil- I love the sound. Of, it's almost like wind chimes in the background. The, mm-hmm. uh, it's, the it's, ice cubes just clicking. clicking. It's, very, apparently, it's very soothing. Sorry. Kind yeah. of. Dana's apparently <laughs> have forgotten how to mute use himself. Yeah, I really didn't think it was making that much noise. I'm no, it's been voice. like making all kinds of noise. I'm trying to coat my throat. I'm sorry. With what type of beverage? Um, Crown Royal XO, which is the like the creme de la creme stuff. Mm-hmm. But I still don't have my voice from Sunday. As you can hear, it's a little rusty. So mm-hmm. sorry, I'll hit mute. Mute is your friend. Okay, back to the story. Uh, so apparently uh, the... National Guard unit, is that right? I think it's a National Guard unit. I'm not sure. Uh, where they have C-17s and they were practicing some city flybys. And apparently they didn't notify people working in the downtown area the day before 
the uh, the governor's inauguration. And we have a couple of, well, I'm just going to play one of them, but we have some audio from YouTube of some positive reaction from these flybys or this flyby over Nashville, Tennessee. Is this where it was last time? Yeah. Yep. Wow. He was way too close. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Look, he's right over the Oh, God. Wow. He's right above it, Toby. Oh my God. He's right above it. Yeah, He was right above what? He was right there. There was a story of He might that went right above that building. He might hit the AT&T building. Like that's the most famous building here. There was a guy. You guys see what? There's a guy. Are you okay? Yeah, like that's, I didn't know if he was going to hit that building. We're going to be okay. (laughs) They're going to be okay. So, um, (laughs) you got to watch the video. They're all looking out the window and looking at a, clearly a military airplane, a C-17. But I'm thinking to myself, you know, everybody that listens to this show or most everybody that listens to the show, if they saw the airplane, they go, oh, obviously that's a military airplane. It's not a hijacked airliner being crashed into buildings. But I have to remember that not everybody is uh, as aware of They're uh, not as airplanes. savvy as our listeners. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. you know, you look at it, you see see this video, and it's clear that this airplane is at least a 1,000 feet uh, above the ground. So, you know, clearing these the tops of these uh, skyscrapers in Nashville uh, downtown by, you know, a considerable amount. But I guess their perspective and looking at this airplane that they're not sure what kind of airplane it is. They're thinking, Oh no, this is another nine 11 happening right before us. So. <laughs> yeah, just reminds me of, you know, just thinking of the silly things that people say. Um, I mentioned the, uh, this is going back to my weekend activities on the cruise ship and the, uh, <clears throat> the ice skating rink, which definitely is real ice. Um, you know, a thin layer of ice and the lady in front of me in line goes, yeah, I, I, I it's, it's definitely fake ice. You can't have real ice on a cruise ship. I was like, <laughs> she's like, I wonder what it feels like. I was like, ice. Maybe it's plastic. <laughs> <laughs> but these are the same types of people. It's like, it, yeah. they just don't, they just make up whatever they think they, they want to believe about what's going on in the world. Right. I, I must, I must say though, when I first saw this news article and watched some of these videos on, on, uh, on uh, YouTube or Twitter, actually, um, I'm thinking to myself, surely the Air Force or people that were um, organizing this whole thing warned the people in the downtown area working that there was going to be an airplane flying overhead. And I uh, waited a few days and I did some research just before today's show. Well, it turns out, guess what? They did not. So, uh, yeah, maybe that would have been a good idea to... Warn everybody. Uh, a good idea. Yeah. Just, hey, don't Just, freak out. Yeah, don't freak out. This is They're okay. going to come, you know, closer than you expect to see. Yeah. Safe, perfectly safe. Yeah. Until somebody <sighs> flushes the toilet over the top <laughs> of the buildings. Yeah. Thank you for that. All right. And moving on to E. A fire on board WestJet flight from Calgary caused by e-cigarette batteries. 
A report from the Transportation Safety Board says that a fire broke out on a WestJet plane after takeoff from Calgary last June. It was caused by a set of spare e-cigarette batteries and some checked baggage. The flight bound for Vancouver had just taken off on June 14, 2018, when the crew was alerted, alerted to a fire in the cargo area of the plane. The issue resulted in the flight being forced back to Calgary, where it touched down safely 10 minutes later. Whoa, that was quick. Yeah, they were taking this seriously. Um, and there's some pictures here in the article of the of the backpack that this thing was in, or the spare batteries were in, and also some of the damage to the fireproof uh, cargo liner. And it says um, that the passenger knew that there was a restriction to, you know, keep lithium-ion batteries out of their checked baggage, but he just forgot that they were in there, apparently. And uh, the findings of the report, well, this is from the TSB report. The findings of this report serve as an important reminder to the traveling public about the shared responsibility to follow published baggage restrictions. As portable electronics continue to gain popularity, it's essential that guests review baggage policies when prompted at the time of check-in and are aware of what they pack for the safety of our guests, crew, and aircraft. As safety is always the top priority, we commend our crew for their actions and safe landing of WestJet Flight 113 from Calgary to Vancouver after they were alerted by a fire indication light in the cargo hold on June 14, 2018. Not only was there a light, but there was probably also a very annoying horn sounding that probably got their attention. Hopefully. So, yeah. Please, battery inventors out there, find something better than lithium ion. This is yeah. just a nightmare for us. Mm -hmm. I think they are working on it. It's just they haven't found anything that have the same energy density. You know that, what's uh, better? Lithium ion. What? Don't use e-cigarettes. <laughs> Smoking's oh, bad for you. <laughs> That's very true. Sadly, true. next time it'll be a, a spare laptop. Spare battery. laptop battery, or yeah, yeah. yeah. Laptops are someone's smart. Not luggage. good for you either. Stay away yeah. from them. Yeah. Smart luggage, stupid <laughs> luggage. You mean? Yeah. Duh. I do have the the batteries removed from my quote unquote smart luggage. Oh, you have some smart luggage, huh? Mm -hmm. Do you have the one that you ride on, like a little? No, but that would be scooter? great. I could really use that. In <laughs> I could see you do that. <laughs> does it make that noise? Yes. Yeah, it does. Well, Wee! actually, the people riding it, Steph would be making that noise. Wee! You got to warn the people in front of you somehow. Wee! <laughs> That's right. Look out. <laughs> like, the, uh, like the little pig, Wee! right? Wee! Uh -huh. Yeah, like uh, oh, this yeah, like little, little pinky pig. went to market. This little piggy stayed. Okay. I guess that's showing that was, my age. No, Does anybody was, ever? Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Okay. It's also a Geico commercial. Yes. Very cute one, by the way. Yes. In, in the car, in the car seat. Okay, yes. we're here. <laughs> All the way home. Okay. Um, <laughs> a uh, man who caused a transatlantic flight to be diverted is jailed. And this is from news.met.police.uk. A 21-year-old man whose violent behavior caused a transatlantic flight to be turned around and ground just an hour after takeoff has been jailed. Now, this sentence, there's something wrong with it. The flight had to be turned around and ground. Did it mean grounded? Grounded. Ground okay. is like, ground they is crushed like, it. Yeah, that's not good. It's extreme. Well, of course, who... Who was this guy? His name, Jeffrey Libby. And where was he from? The U.S., Fort Worth, Texas. Uh, 
He well, was at least sentenced. your courts are taking it seriously. Oh, well, hang your on courts are. It was our your courts. Well, that's why you see we've got that lingering <laughs> hate. Yes. <laughs> That lingering resentment over that war a few hundred years ago. And the tea yeah. that they dumped the in the tea. harbor. Gosh, come oh, on, get over it. Tea. Yeah. <laughs> Such a waste. Um, uh, the, actually, there was a very interesting historic program about the, uh, the false uh, history uh, concerning the revolution on our televisions the other day. But let's not go into that right now. Let's um, not. I'm so pleased uh, to be completely... Uh, Honest that um, at last the courts are really starting to send out a message. A um, hundred pound fine isn't much, but he had to pay four hundred and fifteen pounds in costs and victim surcharge, so that's good. But a, an actual jail sentence uh, and having that conviction on your records forever is sends an extremely important message to people to uh, travel uh, and drink responsibly. It's not that hard, guys and girls. Agreed. It really isn't. So this Absolutely guy agree. was flying on a British Airways flight from Heathrow to Dallas. Um, just like the, if you can imagine that same sound, he was he had the clinking ice cubes in his glass, drinking his Bacardi rum. It's good I, sound. Did had, I did that on purpose on that time. <laughs> which he had brought onto the plane himself. And then he was aggressive and abusive toward members of the cabin crew and other passengers on board. As they tried to calm him down, he then proceeded to assault two of the passengers and one member of the cabin crew, scratching and striking them and even biting one of the passengers' fingers. He thought it was just a finger sandwich, I think. Um, that's what you guys Wait, eat. What? <laughs> Isn't that what they call them? Finger sandwiches? Uh, yeah, at a cocktail party. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Or a, like Bite a high size. tea. Yeah. Okay. Ooh. Anyway. Finger so, food. That's right. So we all agree. You know, it's about time that uh, they started handing out jail sentences for this kind of thing. Not that it's going to stop everybody, but, you know. Well, if you did it on uh, on terra firma, I would, and you assaulted someone uh, badly, I would expect him to be sent to jail. Mm -hmm. uh, even more so if it happens in the confines of an aircraft with all the dangers involved. So Yeah, but why is it that it seems that if you do it on an airliner that you're somehow exempt from that? Yeah, people seem to think there's something magical happens to you when you get on an airplane, and they uh, find all sorts of excuses for their behavior. Well, I'm yeah. sorry. It's, you know, doesn't wash with me. Nope. Nor the judge of that uh, courtroom in the UK. No, we good. like him. Yeah. Probably didn't help that he was an American. Okay. Um, crashed. You didn't realize you'd have given him a year. <laughs> Ten years. Life. Yeah, good. Kill him. Hang him. Wow. <laughs> Luckily, not in this, this country. This took a strange turn. <laughs> took a, a very really, morbid turn there. Very bad turn. The only problem is, if you keep him that long, now you're supporting him. So they want uh, to get yeah. him off English yeah. soil. You need to kill him right away. Yeah, we need right to away. put him in an orange jumpsuit and send him somewhere else. Go, go back to the dark ages when, or back, you know, back in the, the royalty ages when somebody was uh, convicted. Well, it's off with their head immediately. So that would have been the off better with way. their head. Off with your head. Oh, that was no preserved for royalty and things like that. You were hung, drawn, and quartered, which is considerably nastier. Ooh. Mm -hmm. Nice. Okay. Uh, with that, uh, let's move on to this. Uh, good news the uh, crashed Indonesia jet. The uh, Lion Air jet, uh, their cockpit voice recorder, uh, 
was found. And we talked about that on an earlier show. And they were able to get some good recording from it. So hopefully we'll learn. Uh, they say in this article that they have uh, retrieved um, at least two hours of cockpit voices. And of course, the flight only lasted for 15 minutes. So they covered the entire flight plus stuff before the crash. So far before be that flight started. It's a difficult job for whoever uh, transcribes that. Uh, I yeah. remember doing a board of inquiry. Uh, I was the chair. Uh, for a mid-air collision, uh, very luckily no one was killed, but uh, we had to get the cockpit voice recorders of the incident aircraft transcribed, and we gave it to a uh, a young air traffic controller to do the job. And uh, it, they, they really found it quite distressing because, uh, you know, up to the point of collision, uh, you suddenly get all these uh, expletives and noise, and then there's the collision. And, of course, luckily, no one died, but it could easily have been the other way. And, it, of course, this was a very tragic ending. So I guess whoever has that job is going to find that quite difficult. Yeah. Well, hopefully we'll be able to learn something about what happened in that cockpit. Yeah. Okay. And then, finally, item H. Uh, an ANA, All Nippon Airways, Boeing 787-8, registration uh, JA-825 Alpha, performing flight 985 from Tokyo Hanada, Haneda to Osaka, Osaka um, Itami in Japan, with 109 passengers and nine crew, landed on Itami's runway 32 left, touched down. The crew deployed the thrust reversers when both engines, there were uh, Trent 1000s, rolled back and shut down. The aircraft rolled out with further incident, came to a stop about 2450 meters, 8,030 feet down the runway, and was disabled. The aircraft was towed off the runway about 40 minutes after landing. The airline is investigating the cause of both engines shutting down unexpectedly. First examinations by maintenance dispatched from Tokyo do not suggest any anomalies with the engines. So, that's a mystery. This is something that just happened... Uh, Oh, five days ago. I'm sorry. That's the first time I've seen it. I think I saw some kind of a tweet that somebody put out there. Um, had you heard about this? And if so, what do you think? No, I hadn't. But we all fly twin-engine airplanes, and when both power plants quit, doesn't matter whether it's on the runway uh, after landing, in which case is relatively safe, uh, it terrifies me, quite honestly. Absolutely mm -hmm. terrifying. Uh, you yeah, know, but if you, if you don't know the reason why... You know, you're yeah. thinking, well, why did it happen then? Why didn't, you know, could it be something that would happen at a more critical point in flight? Yeah, it's exactly what Like a short final yeah. going into Heathrow? Yeah, exactly. Final exactly. Heathrow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very exactly. topical. Yes, very. That's why I threw it in there. But anyway, that just, I was scratching my head on this one thinking, what? Um, it sounds to me like it must be, maybe, possibly, be some kind of a com uh, computer code issue. Uh, some some things happened uh, that affected both engines simultaneously that, uh, you know, maybe they got some kind of command. Oh, we're on the ground. And to prevent the engine from being damaged, let's go ahead and shut it down. <laughs> yeah, simultaneously both engines. But you're right, of course. So that's just about the point at which the aircraft's logic would transition from flight to ground modes. And uh, if there was a fault, then perhaps it said, right, I'm on the ground now. I'm going to shut these damned engines down because, you know, it's got a fault log. 
mm-hmm. uh, or it might be just a software glitch. But geez, you know, a glitch. Not, yeah, exactly. Not I hate those glitches. You want no. Not at all. So we'll be keeping our eyes and ears open on this one to see what happened. Hopefully we'll learn something regarding this. But in the meantime, while we're waiting for all of that to happen, we're going to go ahead and get on with your great feedback. Captain, incoming message. All right. First item in the folder we have from Private Pilot Rich. Fast North Magnetic Pole Shift Prompts Navigation Update. Captain Jeff and crew, you were just talking about this on episode 356. Nick may be right. Well, that can't be right. The poles may shift before Jeff retires. No. With this large change each year, any impact on flight planning or possible emergency procedures? I enjoy the show. Thanks for all the great information. Regards, Private Pilot Rich. And then he includes a link to a story from news.com.au. And the, the headline is, Earth's magnetic pole is on the move fast, and we don't know why. And it talks about the Earth's magnetic field, which uh, is what allows us to exist because it, uh, the magnetic uh, radiation kind of protects our environment. And the fact that this uh, magnetic flow of of uh, stuff in the in the outermost layer of uh, molten lava and whatever uh, down there. I don't know. I'm not, not a scientist. Anyway, that's, it's flowing around. It's becoming painfully obvious, Jeff. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I should <laughs> read the article. Let's just the article. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See that 58% uh, Take two. dwindling down. Yeah. The Earth's magnetic field is what allows us to exist. It deflects harmful radiation. It keeps our water and atmosphere in place. But now... What? It's acting up, and nobody knows why. But according to the science journal Nature, something strange is going on deep below. It's causing the magnetic North Pole to skitter away from Canada towards Siberia. Canada probably said something that it didn't like. Yeah, something rude. No, that can't be right. They're desperately trying to apologize. Yeah, (laughs) we're sorry. Sorry. (laughs) They are. Sorry. The magnetic pole is moving so quickly that it has forced the world's geomagnetism experts into a rare move, according to the journal Nature. On January 30th, which is, of course, delayed now due to the U.S. government shutdown, the World Magnetic Model, which governs modern navigation systems, is due to undergo an urgent update. This model is a vital component of systems ranging from geopositioning systems used to navigate ships through ships. Let me read that one again. This model is a vital component of systems ranging from geopositioning systems used to navigate ships through to smartphone trackers and maps. I don't like that sentence. The current model was expected to be valid until 2020, but the magnetic pole began to shift so quickly it was realized in 2018 that the model had to be fixed. Now, they realized it was so inaccurate that it was about to exceed the acceptable safe limit for navigational errors. And so it goes on. And so I started doing some research on uh, geomagnetic pole reversal. And according to the Wikipedia, um, geomagnetic reversal is a change in a planet's magnetic field such that positions of magnetic north or magnetic south are interchanged, not to be confused with geographic north and geographic south. Yeah, magnetic and geographic. You know, the, the geographic is a, a fixed point 
So what on, you're telling me is the earth is not going to flip upside down. I don't think so. Uh, according to this, uh, the the Earth's field has alternated between periods of normal polarity, in which the pr predominant direction of the field was the same as the present direction, and reverse polarity, in which it was the opposite. These periods are called crons. There have been 183 re reversals over the last 83 million years. The latest, again, the latest... The Brun Brunhasmatayama reversal occurred, say that three times quickly, uh, 780,000 years ago and may have happened very quickly within a human lifetime. In August 2018, researchers reported a reversal lasting only 200 years. Uh, a brief complete reversal known as the Lachamp event occurred only, only 41,000 years ago during the last glacial period. That reversal lasted only about 440 years with the actual change of polarity lasting around 250 years. So basically, the point is here, and when you're speaking of geographic terms, maybe it's going to happen very quickly, maybe, but not before I'm going to retire. I think it's going to be probably thousands of years before some kind of an event like this may happen. It says in the article that they've been monitoring the magnetic fields and they it's been acting up now for some 1000 years so uh yeah it's not happening as quickly as that article that we talked to or talked about in episode 356 was kind of uh giving you the impression i uh i reckon though that uh if they don't update them uh we'll all have to um be flying on strange looking headings and all the runways are going to have to be repainted uh, if mm -hmm. this pole yeah. continues to shift out across to uh, to Russia uh, because, you know, at the moment it's uh, based on in Greenland's been that way for many years. And if you look on a, an old map, you'll see uh, uh, the isogonals, uh, the lines joining points of equal magnetic variation written beside the uh, amounts of variation uh, are usually um, the year uh, or and the amount of drift. So you can look at the current year and work out how much variation uh, there exists now because, you know, maps are still working when they're 10, 50 years old. But uh, uh, if it's going to move that fast, uh, yeah, something needs to be done. Otherwise, we'll be scooting around on the wrong headings. A good job we tend to use now, uh, inertial navigation, which is, of course, based on true north. Uh, yes. So we always have that as a fallback. So that that's what I was thinking about all this, uh, you know, decades ago when magnetic uh in, you know using the magnetic north and compasses and that kind of thing was the primary means of navigation now as you just mentioned nick um most of us including ships are using uh these inertial platforms or uh, the satellites out there but it it did mention in several of these articles how this shift may affect the satellites in near orbit and i'm trying to think well why would they be using magnetic north information or magnetic south information but it may have more to do with the fact that because these fields are shifting allowing the sun to penetrate into our atmosphere a little bit more that actually may be what is affecting the satellites more than just the fact that the poles are the magnetic poles are moving 
I don't know. Oh, I, I was going to say more like uh, the data that they give, uh, the satellites give, is corrected to magnetic by our software. Oh, and that's okay. where the area will creep in. If we haven't got a, an up-to-date uh, reference uh, for the change, then we will have a, a heading incurred. Because the only time I ever fly around in true heading is going across the Atlantic. I don't suppose you do it ever. You're always flying in magnetic. And if that right. database is out of date, then you'll have a few degrees of error for every heading you take up. So why not just shift everybody to the uh, true uh, north system? Well, then you'll have to recalibrate all the VORs. You'll have to repaint all the runways. More work. Change More jobs. all yeah, the headings amazing. on all the approach plates. And none of the air traffic controllers <laughs> will be able to cope. Yeah. <laughs> we can do that. We feel Just take a couple all, weeks. They're all magnetic. They're all magnetic <laughs> controllers. Now, you, magnetic the, personalities as well. <laughs> the lines of variation that uh, Nick was talking about—the isogonic lines. Um, depending on where you are um, on lo the longitudinal um, graph or grid. Uh, it may be as little as just a couple of degrees difference as it is here in this area of the country that Dana and Steph and I live, or it could be a considerable amount of amount of uh, variation between true north and magnetic north. I, I suspect that that's probably the way it is over where you are, Captain Nick, right? Uh, yeah, I'm trying to think what it is. It's five like around degrees, something like that. Yeah, we're oh, really? That's all? Five, five to six, yeah. Oh, yeah. I thought it would be about, uh, well, because ours is about five or six. I yeah, think. five, six, seven. Right mm -hmm. right seven. Okay. But there are some places that um, the the difference or this displacement between the two can be a quite a large number. And oh, yeah. Up in Canada. Problem. Yeah. In yeah. fact, there are some places in Canada where the uh, the change is so great, they don't even bother trying to use magnetic. And the VORs are all based on true. The runways are headings and everything are set up for true. So yeah. uh, because the mag the compasses, magnetic compasses, are unreliable or even useless. Actually, hmm. eight degrees closest to me. Oh, okay. Well, I, I thought it was less than that, actually. So, Well, you could apply... You got, for to pass your instrument rating test, you've got to be able to track a needle within five degrees. So if you've got an eight-degree error, <laughs> you mm. just failed. Yeah, well, if, if we ever had to do that on the Mad Dog airplane that we fly, Jeff and I, uh, that would be a true emergency because uh, we have a hocus-pocus system on our magnetic compass. We have to use a mirror, a couple mirrors in the light to be able to see our magnetic compass, which is... Uh, behind the first officer's head. So if we ever really had to use true magnetic, uh, nah. yeah, it would be. I would say request no gyro vectors. Exactly correct. <clears throat> yeah, isn't that funny? I heard it was in the front toilet, but there you go. No, it's a, it's forward of the front toilet. Oh, okay. Just slightly. Yeah. Okay, because we don't want anything splashed on it. No, no, you have to wash your hands. Yeah. If you use it. Okay. Let's move on to number two. Speaking of <laughs> number two, Steve. <laughs> nice. How is Dana doing? Oh, number even, two. even more important. <laughs> oh, um, <laughs> oh, Lord. Oh, I, I, I did not number these. It was Liz. It's Liz's fault. Hi, guys. I have two questions. One. It's been a while now since the momentous achievement of Dana transferring to the left seat. After a quiet start with not many trips coming his way, it seems that the trips have picked up lately. So I'm keen to hear, how is it all going, Dana? Are you enjoying life as a captain? 
Any insights and reflections you would like to share? Has it gone as you expected? Well, Steve, uh, honestly, uh, the reason why there's been an uptick in the, uh, the amount of flying that I'm doing is because instead of me bidding reserve, I have been bidding an actual hard line, uh, how we do it in PBS. So it's not a real hard line. It's more or less, uh, you know, I want to work these days and tries to award me trips. So anyways, uh, with that, I've been able to actually put my information out on the uh, Google Google calendar. So I've been able to meet up with some more people uh, and I'm enjoying that aspect of it as well, um, being more active with the community. Now, as far as, uh, you know, the actual uh, being a captain now, I've, I've alluded to it several times, and that is what I really enjoy about it, uh, other than being the, the uh, you know, getting to fly with my favorite captain every day of the week, um, is, is more or less that I enjoy setting the tone. I like a positive tone at work. I don't, uh, <clears throat> one of the biggest things I really didn't like as a first officer is, uh, you know, flying with guys that always had everything bad to say about life. And, you know, I, I know I realize on this show, I, I tend to be the, uh, the guy that kind of <laughs> nitpicks and, and tries to be the uh, devil's advocate. But in reality, when I'm out there flying a line and uh, setting the tone with both the, my, you know, first officer and my, my flight attendants and also the gate agents and even the, and to a lot a larger extent as well, uh, the, the uh, ramp agents, when I go down and talk to them as well, I always try to engage everybody and, and always try to have an upbeat uh, attitude and, and an upbeat way of, of dealing with everything. And, and I take time to think about any decision I make. So uh, I really do uh, enjoy that aspect of, uh, of the job. And that's the reason why I'm flying more is because I'm actually bidding the line because well, frankly, a lot of senior guys on the airplane, uh, they are uh, currently bidding onto reserve because we weren't getting utilized a whole lot. And the reason why I wasn't flying, so a lot of the guys caught on to that and said, well, hey, why, why should I go to work every day while these junior guys sit around and do nothing when I can be the one sitting around? And that's what a lot of guys have been doing. So, yep. uh, you know, in, in the reserve system is an actual necessary evil. Uh, and the way I describe it, I used to describe it as being a substitute teacher, but that's not as accurate as being, uh, as, as think of a fireman, a fireman will sit around the firehouse waiting to get called to put out a fire. And that's what kind of reserve uh, personnel and airliner for, you know, if there's a cancellation, a reroute, an aircraft that's late, uh, weather that comes and in, becomes involved or somebody calls in sick or something's just not covered, then you need to have reserve uh, personnel. So there are going to be times in which those reserve personnel are flying an awful lot. And then there are going to be times that the reserve personnel just don't fly all that well, uh, all that much. And that was me for quite a long time. It was very enjoyable. Nice break after coming through training. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm enjoying it. Uh, it's, uh, it's fun. Uh, it's very challenging at times. Uh, but also, uh, you know, Jeff had, had mentioned a long time ago that I wished that I had done, uh, I had gone through the upgrade earlier. Uh, and, you know, <clears throat> honestly, I don't have any reservations about going back to first officer if I have to. Um, but the reality is, is that I do enjoy being in that seat, like that, that person making the decisions and that person that is, is ultimately responsible for everybody on the aircraft. It's, it's a huge responsibility, and I enjoy that challenge. Excellent. Uh, Steve continues, I got a sense from comments made in other episodes that the outlook was a bit uncertain with the Mad Dogs going away 
And I guess, Dana, you were perhaps not sure that you would be able to hold a captain position when it was time to move to other equipment. How's it looking at the moment? Would you, uh, or apologies if I'm overstepping the mark and it's a sensitive topic to ask, but uh, I'm genuinely asking because I'd love to know and that things are looking good ahead for Dana. Well, Steve, I've got to be honest with you. Um, it, it is a sensitive topic because I am enjoying being captain. And, and my wife and I actually had this conversation a couple of days ago so I could plant the seed in her mind as to where we're going to go next uh, in, in career decision. Um, the unfortunate thing is is it's a moving target. It's many different uh, potential uh, issues here going going forward. Um, they are going to start to rapidly park the aircraft after this coming summer, and they have announced, uh, not officially um, in in a written form, but uh, via a, uh, a video um, recording as to what their intentions are with the next advance uh, advancement that's coming out. Uh, probably in the March or April timeframe, they're going to start to uh, grow the West a little bit more, and they're going to grow the uh, uh, new C series or the A220 as well. Um, and they're going to move uh, some equipment back east from the West Coast. The problem is we don't know what the distribution on that's going to be, and they have uh, come out and they said around 250 crews are going to be removed off the MD product in atlanta because that's the only base left when they say crews uh, i take that to be complete crews in other words first officer and captain so if you do the math that's 500 crew members coming off and being moved to other, other uh, equipment the the big problem is and i don't know how this is going to work out for me because it depends on how uh the bid comes out uh it is going to be a long-term bid how i got my original award for a complete complete year, so that's how long it's going to take them to train everybody. But if I do get uh, booted off, which I'm about 120 from the bottom, roughly, um, and it's looking like the the real the real uh, unknown right now is that they are not advertising any new positions in Atlanta. So if that's the case, I'm going to be stuck with either a choice of if I want to stay in the left seat of having to commute to someplace like New York or Detroit, uh, if I can even hold that. I know I can hold New York, uh, which is a miserable commute, miserable, miserable, and I, I do not commute well, or I'm going to have to go back to first officer, um, and that's uh, something I will have to throw to the gods when, when, when it comes out because I'm just going to have to put it on my preferences, and you know, who knows? I mean, there might be enough guys that bit off the left seat uh, on the Mad Dog to decide they want to go fly the brand new CS or the A220. Uh, might be enough, you know, movement out of Atlanta of other guys that want to go do something else that maybe I'll be spared at the bottom. I don't know. There might be enough uh, 717s that come back into Atlanta, although they're saying that it could be all three, it's going to be all three bases, Detroit, New York, and Atlanta. So I don't know if they're going to have enough positions, but in the big scheme of things in Atlanta, out of all the uh, pilots, um, I am about 135, 140 from the complete bottom of all captains in Atlanta. So it's not going to take a whole lot for me to get kicked off. Um, 
it is what it is. And I did have the conversation as well with my wife. And that is if I decided to go to New York, which aircraft would I go to? And I had the unique opportunity to take a tour of the CS or the A220, A220 which ironically enough, uh, when I walked on the airplane in the front uh, front door on the on the paneling on the bottom, it says CS. Now it's an A, A220. But uh, I got to step on the aircraft, uh, look at the, the flight deck, look at the cabin. And it is truly a game changer. And I really agree with the, what everybody's saying about it. It, it looks like an, an amazing airplane to fly so i I wouldn't have too many reservations about possibly uh considering going to new york as a captain on it um but it's it there's uh there's a lot of thought to go from here until you know april march april time frame but more than likely i would have if i put a percentage on it more than probably 75 or 80 percent chance um by this time next year i will not be in atlanta as a captain or I'll be in Atlanta as a first officer temporarily. Uh, okay. Yeah. Cause everything is going to improve in the long run. Yeah. It'll be a couple of years. I yeah. imagine. Um, let's see. He says, I recently flew into Washington Dulles to spend a few days hanging out. Udvar Hazi was amazing. He says, I landed on a Saturday afternoon around 2 PM and was shocked as to how quiet the airport felt. Most of the gates were not occupied and there were very few aircraft movements. It really did feel like a ghost town compared to, say, San Francisco, which I route through regularly, which literally feels like it's at full capacity the whole time. This surprised me, considering it's an international airport and a hub for United. Intrigued to know if this was a time of day thing or what. And uh, I think that uh, it was probably before the international uh, push for arrivals and departures. And also on Saturday, uh, usually the flight schedules have thinned a bit. So uh, probably a combination of that and the fact that there's not a whole heck of a lot of domestic traffic going on. It's United's more of an it's a, more of an international kind of a operation than domestic. I think that's what I would say. Yeah, my question on that was going to be which terminal because yeah, you know the terminal that we're on is mostly international. You won't see a whole lot of um, a whole lot of domestic airplanes, and even with the uh, United being over there, if you're over in the other terminal, they they do have a lot more activity. And I agree with you. The schedule's probably pulled down quite a bit, and the uh, um, you know the operation there is is uh, uh, not nearly as busy as it would be in some place like D.C. In comparison to if you compare it to some place like New York being an international airport, Dulles is is really almost a ghost town most of the time. Anyways, yeah, and he ends with. Wishing the entire APG crew a happy 2019. Thank you very much. And he said, by the way, on the APG iPhone app, Dana is still on the crew page as First Officer Dana. Not anymore. We changed it. Well, true. But I just wanted to let everybody know that uh, there is a new version of the app for both iOS and Android that have been submitted. Uh, but we're awaiting... Um, some things going on behind the scenes for that to happen. So when the new versions are released, we'll certainly let you know. Okay. Brilliant. Well, thank you, Steve. Steve. Yeah. Thank you for the question. All right. Hope that answered it. So is Timo still in the um, chat room? Mm. Because I'm not getting the chat room anymore. I haven't seen him for a while. Okay. Well, I hope he's still there. If not, he'll hear this when he listens to the published version of the show. Um, he writes, 
Hello, Captain Jeff. Hello, APG crew. This is Timo, your German listener from Japan again. I've returned to Japan this week and wanted to send you some feedback about my training experience in St. Augustine, which turned out to be way busier and more dramatic than I expected or hoped for. Weather, maintenance, and a government shutdown would be the perfect summary for it. My apologies that I couldn't give you uh, an intermediate update, but flying was so much fun as it was exhaustive. With 11.38, he's talking about the length of his audio, um, it's a little bit long, but if you have time to spare and feel that it would add meaningful content to your show, feel free to play it at your convenience. You'll also find a transcript down below. Okay, he had a, he gave us a transcript of what he says in the audio. Also, I prepared a little care package for you with a Japanese-brewed IPA and some sweets from Japan, which I will send to you shortly. Therefore, I wanted to ask, do you check your P.O. box frequently, recently? <laughs> I actually went there today. I've been going a little bit more often, Timo, probably uh, once a week. Uh, but hey, here, here's uh, some advice for you. If you send something to the APG P.O. box, send me an email that says, hey, I sent something to the box. Go check it. <laughs> that, would, that would help and, me. And maybe send it again a week later. Yeah, and then send it. What are you saying? I'm just, um, that's what you would have, that's what I would need. I'm just yeah, saying. Like a constant reminder or, or more than one reminder, I think is a good idea. Well, you mean send the API, uh, IP, API, send the IPA once and then send it again. That's a yes, good idea. That. Yeah, I like that idea more too. IPA, yeah. Yes. Um, so let's see. He says, you can share the chocolate with your family or if you meet other members. Uh, no, I'm not going to read that. Okay. It's all for me, he says. <laughs> So if any of the other crew try to claim anything, tell them sorry. It's all meant for Captain Jeff. Well, no, he didn't say that actually. Grr, okay, grr. I got all kinds of stuff I got to distribute when I finally see everybody in person. Okay, so uh, let's play Timo's audio feedback. January fifteenth, two thousand nineteen, the tenth anniversary of the miracle on the Hudson. The successful ditching of US Airways Flight 1549 by Captain Chesley Salmberger and First Officer Jeff Skiles. Also, the recording of APG episode 358. And the last day of my journey to the United States to obtain my private pilot certificate. Which also should end up to be the day of my checkride. Did I plan my checkride to be on the very last day? Certainly not. Did I want it to be? Definitely neither. And how did I end up? Well, let's first go back a few weeks to see how I got here. On December 12, 2018, a young... Well, I turned 30 last year. Um, growing up... Yes! A growing up German infected with the aviation bug and the APG syndrome, that would be me, made his way to St. Augustine, Florida for five weeks to fulfill his lifelong dream of obtaining his private pilot certificate. Five weeks, that is four weeks to get my license and one week of buffer and for flying afterwards. Well, at least, that was the idea. Little should naive me know how fast plans in aviation can change. Right from the beginning, things seemed to have turned against me, as the Sunshine State did not live up to his reputation and 15 minutes before my first scheduled flight lesson, bad weather turned the airport IFR. First lesson cancelled. The following two days, it should continue to rain cats and dogs, so there was no flying either. And 
This was what I made the trip around half the globe for. Good thing I had that buffer. Unfortunately, neither weather nor maintenance stayed in my favor for long, and my training was set back by another three days. So within the first ten days, most of my buffer was virtually eaten up. Still, we scheduled my check ride for Friday, January the 11th. This would be a tough schedule, and doubts started to rise if I would be able to finish my training by then. But at least I still had four days reserve if I shouldn't pass my check ride. On December 20th, one of those bad weather days, I got rid of my written exam. One item less to worry about. A day later, December 21st, it would become clear that the US government would be shut down and from December 22nd, written exams were no longer taken. Luckily, check rides conducted by DPEs were unaffected by the shutdown, and since I did take my written before the shutdown, that would be no factor. Lucky me. Or at least, so I thought. Finally, weather started to get a little bit better and continuously better, and on December 25th, Christmas Day, I got the best Christmas present so far ever. But listen for yourself. San Augustine Tower, Cessna 5165, Bravo, Merry Christmas again, holding short, runway 31, first solo, ready for departure. 5165, Bravo, San Augustine Tower, runway 31, left traffic, left traffic, clear for takeoff, Merry Christmas. I will surely not forget that moment. The next days my training transitioned into the cross-country portion, and while the last days of 2018 were literally blown out by heavy crosswinds, 2019 started off just great. I convinced my flight instructor to go to San Simons Island together with me, and we have one of the most beautiful flights and the greatest barbecue ever. Thank you again, APG crew, and also Dispatcher Mike, for making that recommendation. People at the FBO at San Simons were also very helpful and friendly, and I can only suggest to visit San Simons for great flying. Fully eaten up, and now, with a little bit more nose-heavy center of gravity, we make our way back to St. Augustine for the night cross-country portion. The Sunshine State finally lived up to its reputation, and we get to catch up on my training as my check ride came closer and closer. The last hurdle for me was crosswind landings. Being told to never let the ball go out of center on final turn, but then shortly after deliberately bringing it out of center, and pushing the rudder all the way to the floor somehow messed with my brain. It took some time and some frustration, but when it finally clicked, it actually became fun. So I was good to go, and on the evening of January the 9th, two days before my check ride, my flight instructor and I finished my paperwork and did the IACRA portion, which is when everything should change, as my written exam test could not be associated with my account. This is an issue. As I am blessed with two first names, middle names do not exist in Germany, our first guess was that there was a problem with that. But since it was already late, there was nothing we could do about it that day. So the next day, one day before the check ride that is, after a lot of phone calls, we found out that there was not an issue with my name, and my test results actually made it to the FAA. However, due to the government shutdown, were never processed within the IACRA system. As a result, everything needed to be done by hand. The application for the airman certificate, the temporary certificate if I should pass, 
and also the outcome of the test that has to be reported to the FISTO. It's back to the old days. And the DPE I was scheduled with wasn't too fond of that idea and ultimately cancelled the check ride the day after. Surely you can't be serious. There I was, five days remaining on my trip without a check ride. Now, not only did we have to find a new DPE, but also one that was available within the next five days. My nerves were blank. All the efforts, good for nothing. And it's entirely out of my control. Nothing I can do about it. Roller coaster that I went through, we did find one gentleman that would take a longer drive to come to St. Augustine and would be available on Sunday the 13th. Set and done. Taken. Two extra days to practice and to work on the finer points and two days reserve if things should go south. Great. My instructor and I, we head right for the airplane, clear prop, and nothing. The starter went bad. So no flying for the entire day either. Well, I guess good that the check ride was rescheduled. So we jumped to January 13th, day of the check ride. The order is straightforward and we're done after just an hour. My DP is happy and so am I. However, as we're about to prepare for the flight, a tough update comes in. Temporary ceiling drop, showers and rain in the vicinity. Visibility also decreasing. The DPE offers me to go out and try and to see what we can do, or we reschedule the check ride for Tuesday afternoon, which is the last day of my stay. After some time to think about it, checking of prognostic charts, and obtaining a prior rep from one of the pilots that just landed, I make the no-go decision, and the flight portion is rescheduled. As weather went worse than forecasted, in the end, it was a good decision. But now, it's hit and miss, with zero days in reserve. With a day gained, I take the plane out for one more ride and fly out every maneuver I can get. Good flight, and I feel quite prepared. At the same time, I start to get nervous. Really nervous. I only get one try. If tomorrow doesn't work, extending my stay will virtually be impossible, and my endorsements will expire and all the efforts were good for nothing. Pressure is on. I try to remember when I was nervous like that for the last time, but come to the conclusion I probably never have. Still, I eat well, get some good sleep, and prepare myself for the final stage. As we get to the plane, the nervousness is gone in an instant, and we fly for a good 1.8 hours. After we touch down for a last landing and taxi off the runway, I get a sensation of fulfillment. No matter what the outcome will be, this flight was fun. And I did what I could. I feel good. I tell my DP exactly that and thank him for the nice flight. He looks at me a little surprised, but then starts to smile and just said, Oh, you passed. The feeling of fulfillment intensifies. I make sure not to miss any of the remaining checklist items in excitement and get my taxi clearance to a ramp, which, I must say, 
is much, much harder if you can't stop smiling. And so here I was, in exactly one month of unfavorable weather, mechanical delays and government shutdown, I managed to lock 60 hours of flight and obtain my private pilot certificate. Mission accomplished. To me, this is still a small miracle. Of course, not nearly as impressive as the one in Hudson 10 years ago. But for sure, from now on, I will never forget the date of January the 15th. Again, did everything go as expected? No. Did I want my check ride to be on the last day? Certainly not. But was it worth it? Every second, every dollar, and every bit of emotion I went through. This is by far the best feeling ever. And I have learned so much, not only in regard to flying, but also about myself and what really matters. And now, having returned back to Japan, where there's virtually no private general aviation, and with my handwritten temporary airman certificate in my hand, thanks government shutdown, I feel myself reminded of the words of Leonardo da Vinci. Quote, For once you have tasted flight, you will walk the earth with your eyes turned skywards. For there you have been, and there you will long to return. And now I find myself every day looking up to the sky, waiting for my next chance to fly. Truly, the best feeling ever. And with that, I wish you Kavu, Godspeed, Sayonara, Tschüss, and bye-bye. Your Timo. Yay, congratulations, oh, Timo. Great. That is awesome. Timo, that, that, story. That, that gave me chills. That gave me gooseies. That's awesome. Congratulations. I love hearing feedback like that, don't you? It's yes. Oh, absolutely. Talk about uh, you know cutting it to the uh, last possible moment, <laughs> all those setbacks, but determination won through. Just fantastic. So proud Absolutely. of you. Congratulations, Timo. Job well done, and welcome to the community. Yes. Congratulations. Welcome to the club. Yep. No small feat, indeed. I love right. that he got it done on the last day. I mean, that's <laughs> brilliant. All, all those spare days, they I, got I, jumped up. <laughs> I, I was just imagining, uh, you know, putting myself in your shoes, the amount of nervousness and anxiety I would have <clears throat> if it came down to that that last day, knowing that, you know, there weren't additional opportunities, at least for the foreseeable future. Almost sounds like a Hollywood movie ending. A little bit. Yeah, really. That, I mean. that must have been a very difficult decision to make, though, Timo. Um, you know, whether you go for the check ride that one day or uh, yeah, oh, I see. I'm, good, good decision making skills. Yeah. Or just well, waiting until the very last minute and then the possibility of it, everything just com going completely down the tubes. Well, and it's, you know, even though that would be a big setback. You never say never at that point. He's already put in a lot of work. Oh, yeah. And, uh, it would just be a, a matter of time and an inevitable thing. But congrats for getting it accomplished in the time frame you had. Yeah. We're proud of you, man. Yeah. yeah. That extra pressure cannot have helped. So you must have flown very well to have passed that. Um, a brilliant job. I love it. Oh, you passed. Like, yeah. yeah. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I just assumed that you knew that you had passed. Yeah. That's, it's that's like, funny. I didn't say anything else about it. Yeah. So, obviously. All right. Um, 
before we do the plain tales, I'd like to get at least one more piece of feedback in uh, from Robert. He says, Dear Captain Jeff, first of all, I have to say a big thank you for your tremendous efforts for running this extraordinary podcast show. You and your crew do a marvelous job every week, giving those of us riding their planes only on armchairs a wonderful chance to peek behind the curtain, i.e. the cockpit door. Today, I have the chance to pack back a little knowledge from my side. As a German native speaker, I'm from Austria, I have to tell you something's odd with the title of your last show, 357. Gutenfart is unfortunately just wrong. I already have to listen to the new episode right now, so I don't know if you refer to something special, so I try to put it right with some suggestions. First, you could say Gutefart, no N at the end, which means good ride but only if you go by car or, this is even funny, by hot air balloons, but not for any other aircraft-related tra- travel. Aviators are wishing themselves just guten Flug, which is good flight. Here, you do put the N at the end. And the most general acclamation is gute Reise, which is good journey, but only if you're a passenger. Aviators refer mostly to guten Flug. Surely you spotted the small difference between Gute and Guten, this mysterious N. This is one of the most complicated things in German. Suffixes on words are changing permanently to determine the right sex and used case of a substantive in a sentence or substantive in a sentence. But I dare go, uh, I dare to go more in detail here. Uh, prevents a lot of headaches. Anyway, for further questions, uh, depending uh, on the crazy German language, please don't hesitate to contact me at any time. Oh, I, I've got a question. I've got a question. Okay. So if I'm on a Luftkissenfahrtstoig, do I say a gut fart or guten Flug? Okay, Robert, get back to us on that. Please. You want to restate that again? If I'm riding a Luftkissenfahrtstoig, do I say gut fart or guten Flug? And what is a Luftkissenfahrtstoig, or whatever you just said? Luftkissenfahrtstoig <laughs> is a, a kind of made-up name for a hovercraft. Because if you ask oh. most Germans, uh, they'll just say hovercraft, having stolen the word from uh, the English. Oh, darn them. Yeah, thieves. Word well, thieves. It's not, a, it's not a car, it's not a hot air balloon, so. Well, you know what happened... Um, Again, just to remind everybody, my daughter said, I, I, I'm thinking, I, I don't know how she would make up putting the N on something that, because she does not speak German. Uh, I think she was probably looking at the plaque or whatever it was. And I do remember she, the picture associated with that was, uh, looked like a gondola of a balloon. And, uh, but I don't know, uh, maybe they made a mistake at the museum, but, uh, I did change the title uh, initially published as G-U-T-E-N. I took the N out because of our expert testimony from Robert in Germany. And Timo in the chat room has your answer. Yes, I have, but uh, he he reckons it'd be a good fart. So I'd be uh, interested to know uh, if Robert agrees. I always always enjoy a good fart. Yeah, likewise. Uh, And he uh, does, in fact, um, back me up there with Luftkissen Fahrzeug. So Mm -hmm. I think I was probably right with that. And uh, to answer your question, Dana, uh, I don't know where my video is. Uh, My video camera, after I uh, screen shared, uh, is decided, again, not to to cooperate today. It's been feeling very shy. 
Yeah, I think yeah. you need a few extra cameras so that when that one turns off, you just switch on another one. Yeah, maybe I'll just you know, it's a it's an audio show, so whatever. Yeah, I know everybody would like to see me, but well, you made <laughs> all that effort with your hairdo. So I know. I mean, I even went to the barber today to get yeah. to get my haircut for yeah, this beautiful for you. What a what a shame. I know. What, what a waste you? of a good quaff. Mm. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> oh, I see. So when you don't see me face to face, you feel like you can just say anything you want. I got it. Okay. Um, let's see. Why don't we go with a part of the show that we feel compelled uh, to play because we don't want to hurt Captain Nick's feelings. True. Oh. Which is, no, you know, I'm just joking. It's Adam Spink. Oh, that's true. Yes, ma'am. I was going to say this one's particularly good. So. Is it? The, okay. the series that we're yes, currently on. That is true. That is true. It's awesome. Yes. So without further ado, it's without further ado, it's this week's plain tale entitled Adam Spink and Speedbird 38, part two. The speed of the impact and the descent rate. I was convinced people were very seriously injured, if not, if not dead, on the aircraft. The old pilot's plane tails. Adam Spink and Speedbird 38, part two. So, so we're, we're 10, 20 odd minutes past the incident. What did mm -hmm. it look like out of the window now? So out of the window, there's this BA777 uh, with all the slides out um, on its belly just at the beginning of the runway. Lots of fire vehicles, ambulances, emergency vehicles, airport ops vehicles surrounding it, and uh, a few other aircraft dotted around the airfield that had shut down and had stopped taxiing. Um, but apart from that, you know, not much else. Two big divots in the grass from where the aircraft had, had slid. Uh, but we were very lucky in a way that it happened in January uh, it hadn't been particularly cold in, in the UK for the previous week or so, so it wasn't frozen ground. The ground we'd had a lot of rain, so the grass was very soft, which obviously absorbed the impact, which was which was a, made for a very good outcome for everybody. But in terms of what it looked like out the window, it, it again just looking up, glancing up, I remember it, it looked like a movie set. It looked like a, a you know a, a scene from a movie. So it was very odd to be in that very, very familiar situation of your working environment that you see every single day. But looking out the window, you see something that you only ever see on TV. And that was a, quite a strange feeling to see that. Um, so at this point, some of the guys from downstairs were coming up and sitting down in position um, and, and letting other people go out on a break. Um, so, you know, at that point, we escalate the decision-making um, the, the guy who had given who I'd given a break to, which meant I was on the desk dealing with this as a supervisor, came back upstairs and we sort of doubled manned the desk to split the workload out. Uh, and then we sort of, about 40, 45 minutes, I think, we, we then started to operate s slowly uh, in terms of arrivals and departures on the northern runway only. The southern runway was blocked, I think, for about uh, four or five days. We, we didn't use the southern runway from the full length for, for that amount of time. Um, so it was a very, yeah, it was a very um, 
spectacular incident to watch out of the window. Obviously, I'm saying all this with hindsight, knowing that nobody died and there was only, I think there was one serious injury and, and a few um, minor injuries, which you'll always get from people going down the slides in an evacuation. Uh, so, uh, you know, it was it was a good feeling when finally we went downstairs and there's a TV and reception in the tower, which is got BBC News or, or Sky News on. And we walked down the stairs and saw a ticker going along the bottom saying, you know, no fatalities in British Airways crash at Heathrow or something like that. So that was the first point, possibly up to an hour after the incident actually occurred when we found out that everybody got out okay. So that was a great, you know, fillip to us in terms of uh, it buoyed us up because, uh, as I said, we we had assumed that people had died. Um, and then it was a case of, for me anyway, uh, as the supervisor, I'm not in charge of the shift, but sort of feeling a measure of responsibility, I tried to get people to walk out through the terminal with me rather than getting a, a minibus out to the car park, which you could be in your car within, say, 10 minutes, if that. Walking out through the terminal can take 20, 25 minutes. Just give people a time to cool down and, and um, relax a bit more um, as much as they could. What I didn't want is people getting in their cars just having seen this high on adrenaline and thinking about all sorts of things about what they've seen and having an accident, you know, on the M25 on the drive home. Oh, absolutely. I mean, did you sit down <coughs> together before you left work and had a bit of a chat about it? N not at that point. Within Nats, um, there's there's quite a, a good um, infrastructure of critical incident stress management. There are people on call 24 hours a day that if you have a, an incident or um, see something that affects you, you can call them and 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 certainly for any large in incident like this was um they call in a whole team and they were there the next day so we all sat down the following day to to discuss what we'd seen um but certainly it was it was clear to us that if if we didn't want to work the next day if we felt so affected by it um then that was fine you know there were no no pressure put on uh, people to to work the following day i know a few other guys who were on days off um, or on leave, you know, it rang in to say, you know, if you need me to work to replace somebody who who should have been working but doesn't doesn't feel able to, then then I'm happy to do that. So so it was a great level of support amongst the peers and and the colleagues at Heathrow. Um, so so we went through a, a stress uh, management session the f the following day, um, which was which was really interesting actually. We all um, sat around in a circle and just described what we had. We had seen what we could remember seeing and probably 12 13 people everybody had a different story or saw something different or you know and, and everybody together then we could piece together a, a fuller picture for us for us all so i think that helped a lot of people sort of uh, reconcile what they had seen thinking back to the reaction of the controllers and the way they conducted their job there sitting on the desk particularly uh, the approach, the tower approach controller who, mm. whose um, lane it was, aircraft it was that crashed. Uh, how about their performance? Oh, I, you know, the, the, uh, the reaction was almost instant. Um, as I said, the, the controller could see that the aircraft was in trouble and was effectively going to crash just before the Mayday call came out. Uh, so he was already reaching for that crash button when the aircraft hit the ground. The aircraft hit the ground, came to a rest, and um, uh, one of the pilots actually came on 
the ATC frequency. Um, and said, this is the captain, evacuate, evacuate, evacuate. Now he actually, I, I believe he did that by mistake because he hadn't switched the PA uh, yeah, across. It's an on easy the, thing yeah, and, and you know, no criticism for the pilot there at, at all. Um, in a way, it helped because it it told us that the that there was a fl- member of the flight crew there and and understood what was happening and and we knew that they were about to evacuate. Um, so the the controller went straight back in and said that's transmitted on ATC. So it then warned the flight crew that they needed to flick the switch and and do the PA. Um, the crash call went on from the controller and then as I said that for the next probably 10 minutes or so it's constant radio and telephone coordination so in our ATC headsets um, if we're we can be on the phone and on the radio at the same time so what we hear on the radio comes in one ear what we hear on the telephone comes in another ear so I've listened to the tapes and and um, the controller you know there are people talking in each ear and he's responding to each so he's he's maxed out, but he did a fantastic job at reacting incredibly quickly to to this situation that occurred with very little warning. Um, and and as I said, it's in that situation, it's very easy to get sucked into dealing with what you can see immediately out the window, and almost losing track of what's what's coming down the approach, what you're being delivered uh, from radar. Um, so so he had the presence of mind of sorting those two, three, four aircraft out and simultaneously coordinating with the approach radar to switch those and then stop any more aircraft coming in. Um, so, um, yeah, the the control and the team up there as well. I was very lucky, um, you know, the, the performance of the, I say lucky, I was very, um, you know, pleased with the performance of the guys um, that they made my job very easy because they sorted it all out themselves. Yeah, I, I think we can say that their professionalism really shone through. Mm. Hmm. Oh, yeah. definitely. Yeah, we've got to the point where you have uh, disappeared. Uh, now, I'm just curious. Um, when I was in the Air Force, and when there was whenever there was an incident, if I was the duty pilot in the tower, as soon as a, uh, there was any hint of an emergency, some very senior officer would normally come rushing up to the tower and try and take control. None of that happens. No, I mean, so there's there's nothing like that. But certainly, the senior management that were there at Heathrow Tower for support if we needed to and obviously they've got their own responsibilities in terms of, of um, escalating decision making and um, coordinating with their opposite numbers at, at the control centre at Swanwick uh, but it's very clear that, that the supervisor is in charge of, of the operational uh, control tower ops floor as it were the controllers and the assistants at the time um, so there was I'd never felt any pressure on, uh, for in terms of what decisions should be made um, so no one second guessing you or breathing no, down no, no, your collar. Well, that's that's brilliant. Uh, it's just the yeah. way it should be yeah. as well. Looking back at it, um, those uh, first vital minutes uh, after the incident, were there any major lessons learned? It sounded like it went, you know, just like a perfect simulator sortie. In in a way, it did. Um, as I said, in in terms of the effect on air traffic control, it. I know it sounds almost uh, facile to say so, but. But the effect on ATC was the same with this crash, effectively on the end of the runway, as it would be if an air, if if you know an A330 landed and burst the tire on landing, it blocks the runway, full stop. 
it blocks it in a far more spectacular manner, but it just blocked the runway. We train for a blocked arrival runway all the time. You know, it's one of the main things we do in our refresher training every year. Um, it's it's what we test our trainees on before they validate. So it's it's make the current situation safe, i.e. make the crash call if necessary. It's sort out the next two or three on approach. It's coordinate with radar to, to inform of a change of runway or to stop a right, stop aircraft coming off the stack downwind and, and onto final approach. So in terms of the muscle memory and the, the memory items, I guess, from a, from a, what the flight crew would talk about, it's the same. It's just this was really out of the blue and completely, you know, spectacular in, in the way that it happened. Now, looking at the other agencies involved, uh, any one you can single out uh, or any agency you can single out for doing a particularly good job? Not really, to be honest, and and I say that because they all did a fantastic job. The fire service, I think, were there within about eighty odd seconds. Good luck. Um, so they got out there and really it's quickly. completely at the other end of the airfield for them. Yes, yeah. Um, so that the, in those days they did have a smaller fire station on the old terminal two, uh, so that was a bit closer, which was the the one the appliances that that reached the incident first came from there, but you know they they got there really quickly. Um, and uh, and there was actually I remember there was a just to the south of the two seven F threshold, so very very close to where the aircraft uh, hit the ground. There was a an operate airside ops vehicle. You might have heard on the on the radio at Heathrow we call them leader vehicles. Um, they're the guys with the the ping pong bats who marshal aircraft onto stand or pick up um, fod debris around the airfield and uh, and bird scaring runway inspections etc he was driving around that area and he actually saw this happen in his rear view mirror <laughs> oh my um, god really so uh, he wasn't on the runway um he was just on the adjacent taxiway but he was driving away from heading away from the runway and he sort of looked up in his rear view mirror and he saw this crash happen behind him so he immediately turned around and uh, the the one difficulty i guess i'd say that the atc faced was the sheer number of vehicles calling up for runway entry clearances and they would all call up individually um it it's a it's a you know a balancing act you know we we want vehicles to call up atc to for permission to enter the runway we don't want vehicles just driving on willy-nilly but in this situation that training that we've ingrained to the to the drivers at heathrow and, and obviously any other airport around the world that you must call atc for permission to enter the runway actually increased our workload certainly for for that controller because every single aircraft sorry every single vehicle was calling up for for a runway entry clearance and the controller was having to spend a lot of his time just broadcasting entry clearances which took up a lot of his radio and thinking time right but but in you know all the emergency services responded really quickly uh, the airside ops responded quickly and then even later on that afternoon and for the following few days all the airlines, certainly those based at Heathrow, so British Airways, Virgin, um, Aer Lingus, um, they did really, really well actually in terms. So the the runway configuration we ended up with was we used two seven right, the northerly runway for arrivals, and then the southerly runway from a intersection further down for departures. Um, so they would t- enter the runway about um, a third the way down the runway with the the um, Mike Mike, which was the aircraft that crashed behind them on the threshold, and uh, that distance off the top of my head is something like two thousand two hundred meters. So, 
um, any aircraft that could not accept that reduced takeoff distance would depart on the northern runway for which we would have to arrange a gap in the arrival stream especially if that was a southbound departure which would then cross the climb out of the other runway gotcha. so it gets yeah. very complicated um, in terms of workload so so the airlines that I mentioned earlier a lot of the airlines for their heavy aircraft departures um, reduce the load either through passengers or, or reducing fuel or freight to enable air, all their air departures to take off on that shortened takeoff distance available so that really helped us to cope with that very unusual configuration so i suppose the next few days in fact you were back at work and trying to sort all this out yeah yeah so so the shift that that was on my shift at that time we we finished and about an hour after the the crash occurred we came in the it was our second morning i believe um second morning shift and then on our day three and four we do afternoon shifts so we had effectively 24 hours off came in the next uh, the next afternoon um to 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 that runway configuration that i've just described uh, so it was very very hard work but um but i think in many ways that's the sort of person who becomes a controller it's one of those people who likes to solve problems who likes to get on with it who likes to figure out a solution so we all got stuck in and and you know we wanted to um to sort of keep keep the traffic moving so I, I'm, I guess overall the impact on the airport was kept to an absolute minimum. Uh, yes, as much as we could, there there was an impact um, on on the airline certainly because a lot of them reduced their loads, as I said. But in terms of overall movements, it wasn't too much of an impact. It certainly a, a far increased workload over normal operations for us because of the unusual runway configuration. And when we did have an aircraft that needed to to use the the wrong in inverted commas uh, runway um, but I think that lasted for about four days until they they moved the obviously AIB were informed the accident investigation branch they came out took lots of photos and gathered all the evidence that they needed and then they agreed uh, to, to move the aircraft um, and then that was moved to the uh, to the north off the runway far enough away uh, so that we could begin using that runway again um, in a limited way. Obviously, there was no approach lighting <laughs> because the aircraft had, had taken all those out when it when it slid through the through the pylons. Um, but uh, but we we could then operate a two runway Heathrow in 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 terms of normal runway length, which which helped us greatly. Uh, d just for for those who know Heathrow, where Concorde is at the moment, out by the holding point two seven F, that's where this aircraft was moved to. Um, and it was probably there for another year or so, I think, uh, while the AIB investigated. Uh, Did they uh, interview you guys? They interviewed me, uh, basically asked me what I'd seen, um, and and I know, I think they they spoke to all the controllers who uh, all the staff who were there at the time, controllers and assistants. Um, but it it was almost a formality because we could just say what we had seen. Um, we pointed them in direction some of the the cameras that both we and the airport have, uh, mainly for monitoring stand occupation, uh, but uh, but they might have had footage uh, depending on where they were pointing at the time. Uh, but there was, you know, it was a ten minute interview, if that. Um, right. Interesting experience to go through. Yeah, I would have uh, thought so. Certainly, but uh, yeah. Now looking back on it, uh, I mean, what's the biggest thing that sticks in your mind? <clears throat> Um, I, th I think it would be just going back to that point about don't get too 
um, sidetracked by what you're seeing out of the window. If you reduce an incident to to its constituent parts, it's a blo- for ATC. It's a block runway. There's no need to panic. Um, you just sorted. You've done it hundreds of times in your training. You thought about it. You've you know you've theorized about it in your in your brain hundreds of times. It's a set of actions that we follow. Uh, so it, it just if you just do that, do the, follow those actions, then you can't do anything more as long as you, you, you follow them you know, in the right order and, and keep calm. And very much, I know you've said on the podcast quite a few times, you sit on your hands for a bit. You don't, don't overreact. You, know, you, you just take a few seconds to think about what you're going to do and then do it. Enormous thanks go to Adam for his insight into this fascinating incident and thanks also to the National Air Traffic Service for their permission to publish this interview. Good stuff. I can't wait to uh, hear the part three and the uh, perspective uh, from the cockpit. All written and done, and you can get a preview uh, in our Evernotes uh, because I did that actually earlier today, and that's the story of uh, the incident itself from the aircraft's point of view and the crew, and more importantly, the technical aspects of why they had a double-engine failure. Um, They called it a rollback because the engines didn't actually fail. They just came all the way back to just above flight idle, uh, which was giving them very little power. But, uh, uh, yeah, that's that's interesting in itself because we've seen it from Adam's point of view. And now let's take a look from uh, on board the aircraft. Oh, sure. Can't wait to hear it. Amazing. Oh, you're back, Jeff. Well done. I am. I am. Unplugged and replugged and did all kinds of things. I've been busy trying to figure out how to get this thing to work again. <laughs> what happens behind the scenes during Plane Tales? Oh, well, you're never going to know. But never now that those, those two are out of the way, I just wanted to say again, I, I know I said it earlier, but thank you very much indeed, Adam, for uh, telling that story. It was fascinating. The first time I heard that Adam had been on duty that day, I thought I've got to get the story. And it took us quite a while. Uh, to actually hook up and uh, and get it done. It was uh, after we'd both been down to uh, the National Air Traffic Service uh, Center at Swanwick uh, for a uh, training day. I was down there representing or being, you know, kind of an airline pilot, uh, and the controllers were doing one of their, um, you know, flight safety and training days. And on the way home, I managed to persuade uh, Adam to pop in and have a cup of tea, and we recorded it then. So that I was so pleased that uh, Adam found time. And he is a great storyteller. I, I had to make so little uh, input. Uh, to pull the story out he he obviously has it right in his head i don't know how many times he's replayed that movie in his head i suspect quite a few times over the the 11 years between the incident and now i'm sure that's one of those things that you know your your mind records those events like it's a movie oh, it's, it's always there to to access and look back on a lot of the details that you might otherwise not remember yeah. or pay attention to yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, uh, I just thank him very much indeed for uh, yeah, giving thanks. up his time and for being such a good storyteller. That was brilliant. I really enjoyed it. And to be fair, in a wonderfully understated, 
perhaps slightly English gentleman way that he has that, uh, you know, he didn't make a big thing out of anything that anyone did. And uh, it was just all part of their job. Uh, but God, we know better. We know that their control tower, the, the officers on duty did a fantastic job that day. It's the job you train for, but the one you don't want to have to do. Oh, absolutely. Right. Yeah. And yeah. it sounds like thanks to, to Nats too, for letting us uh, yeah, give that insight. You. Right. Yeah. Very kind of them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Very kind of them. I thought it was interesting how um, they got together and they all talked about what they saw and how everybody's account was a little bit different, but then they came up with a composite of what probably really happened. And that's just, I guess, more evidence that we as humans um, kind of have a tendency to, you know, experience things and and remember things in, in different ways. Oh, I think that's been well proven, isn't it? Because that's mm -hmm. one of the reasons that eyewitnesses are actually um, very poor at giving realistic evidence because our mind often fills in the blanks mm -hmm. uh, for us. And what yeah. we think is a, uh, is a true memory uh, is actually created for us by our mind to to you know explain details we have missing. And I know of uh, uh, when I was a child, you know, I remember some important events uh, and actually, uh, I thought I was there, uh, but as it turns out, the, those events have been created in my childhood memory because people have told me about them so many times, and it turned out that I wasn't actually there. So you go, well, how can that be? But it, well, our mind has an amazing ability to uh, play tricks on us. Yeah. All right. Excellent. Well, let's move on with some more APG community feedback. Uh, this one from Len on Lantau, Fighting High Demons. Hi, APG crew. I was... Uh, <laughs> nice one. Thank you. How was that again? Thanks, Len. <laughs> that was strange feedback from me. Yeah, I, was, I yeah, have no idea what, what he was... was. <laughs> he, did send, he did send a picture, though, so we'll try to figure out what it is he's trying to say. Now, what he actually said... Hi, APG crew. I wish an excellent 2019 to all of you and the community. My medical certificate expires around this time of year, and I had my renewal scheduled for this afternoon. Just like on a previous occasion, or the previous occasions, I found myself in the AME's office gazing at a photograph on the wall. It shows a silver spitfire flying over Causeway Bay in Hong Kong. I'd seen it on every prior visit, but today something rang a bell. The aircraft's registration is Papa Sierra 852. I had heard of that before. When I asked if I could take a picture, the good doctor graciously provided me with a copy of a magazine article entitled Over 50,000 Feet in a Spitfire. Of course, the aircraft and her very able pilot, Flight Lieutenant Ted Powells, were, or should I say Flight Lieutenant Ted Powells, were featured in the Fighting High Demons plane tale last year. Interestingly, the number 852 lives on in present-day Hong Kong as the telephone country code. It was assigned many years after Papa Sierra 852 saw service in here, so it's most likely purely a coincidence. But who knows? Maybe, just maybe, somebody in the International Telecommunications Union knew and decided to honor man and machine. Thanks to all of you for keeping the episodes coming. Cheers, Len on Lantau. Any uh, provided the picture that he snapped of the photo on the wall in his AME's office. And, uh, wow, that's very cool. Very Isn't cool story. great-looking airplane? I yeah. mean, it was one of the latest of the final marks of Spitfire, and, geez, it looks 
it looks pretty evil, actually. Gone mm -hmm. a lot kind of, of menacing. Yeah, it does. That great long nose. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's almost like a caricature of an airplane a little little bit, right? Like you could draw a face on it. And, yeah. <laughs> so were the, were the original ones uh, have had like not as long a snout in the front because the engines yeah. are smaller? This has got a Griffin in it. Mm -hmm. The Griffin uh, was a slimmer and longer engine. The uh, Merlin was kind of fatter. So you'll see the... Uh, the earlier marks are, are quite a little bit more bulbous under the nose, a little deeper. Uh, mm -hmm. And uh, you'll actually notice a few movies like uh, the Battle of Britain movie, the old Battle of Britain movie, uh, where they had Messerschmitt 109s that had been fitted with Merlin engines. And rather than having that incredibly long, narrow snout of the 109, it's got the classic bulge under the nose, and that's because they've got the wrong engine in them. Uh, oh. But uh, this has got a Griffin engine, and it's a, it's a slimmer look to it, and it's incredibly powerful. But I just rem I'm just amazed that uh, Len actually remembered the plane tower. That's fantastic. Thank you very much, Len. And also, this photograph is taken uh, of apparently of this aircraft over Causeway Bay, and. Our hotel, our crew hotel in Hong Kong, is down there in Causeway Bay, except, of course, it's not, because that just looks so completely different from Causeway <laughs> Bay a now. A few years before. Absolutely. How do you think about that? That's in the kind of 50s. Uh, and now, I, gee, I, I can't even recognize a single building or anything that looks right, although hmm. I am looking down and wondering what that, Nice looking. Is that a government house? That wouldn't be it's, Causeway Bay, though. That would be a little further to the east. So I'm not quite sure. It looks uh, like it, a stadium of some sort. Yeah, it looks a, like a football yeah. stadium or maybe a, a cricket. Something it could be. Yeah, yeah, it could be. Or, uh, yeah, I don't know what it is. So uh, I was just trying to match. I was just quickly looking on a map, trying to match up some of the features, but I, I couldn't. But it's uh, absolutely fascinating to see Hong Kong back then as well. It's amazing how things have changed. Mm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Places just crammed full now. What an amazing airplane that was, Spitfire. Yeah, it was indeed. But uh, I, I quite honestly, I uh, think the Mustang was possibly a better aircraft as it turned out. Yeah, I mean, well, I was going to say something snide about the Mustang uh, and the Spitfire, but you did it for me. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. <Yeah. laughs> Actually, they're both great airplanes, and I think that's uh, recognized by almost everybody around the world. Sure, I mean they all they they each had their moment in history, and I think yeah. the Spitfires was around the Battle of Britain. But in fact, as we all know, the Hurricane, although it was a dumpier and slower aircraft, uh, got more kills and did more damage uh, and help, helped us more perhaps than the Spitfire did. But they were they were great uh, as a team of aircraft because the Spitfire had the capability to take on the uh, German fighters, and the Hurricane was a fantastic gun platform to and very sturdy and able to take on the bombers. So between the two of them, they did a fantastic job. Yeah, and and don't forget that the Mustang, as a main man Mike had pointed out, was a dog until it took on the Merlin engine. Oh, yeah, he was yeah. waiting for the right power plant. And uh, yeah. once they married those two together, there was no stopping it. All right, let's move on to item six. Try to knock out as many of these as we can. Sean, 
writes, here's an interesting one. A family of three was forced to sit on the floor for their flight since the seats were removed for some unknown reason. I can't imagine EU regs allow such things. I can't imagine even the worst U.S. airline attempting such a stunt. And the article, passengers forced to sit on floor of plane because the seats had been removed. And uh, let's see, a British family was traveling on TUI fly. Is that the way you would say that? Or would you say TUI fly? I think named TUI. TUI, okay. TUI, is that um, a name change from Thompson? That's correct, Jeff, Okay. Uh, home from the Spanish island of Menorca last summer. Although media reports don't say exactly which airport they flew into, as they are reported as being from Warwickshire, I assume they flew into the nearby... Say it again? Warwickshire. You don't say second W. Warwickshire. There we go. Of course. Why... Why would you pronounce it? Why, why would you have it? <laughs> why would you pronounce the first one? Yeah, that's what I'd yeah. like to know. Right, anyway, sure. I, I assume they flew into the nearby Birmingham airport, which Tui flies to from Menorca Mahone Airport seasonally over summer. The family, two adults and their 10-year-old daughter, was issued with boarding passes for seats 41 D, E, and F. The problem? There were no D, E, or F seats installed in that row only an empty space where the seats should have been. There was only one spare seat on the plane, which the child was reseated in. The parents were told to use jump seats for takeoff and landing. During the flight, as the crew needed the space in the, va- in the galley to conduct meal and duty-free services, the family was told to sit on the floor in the back row in the space where their seats should have been. <laughs> they have a picture of them sitting on the they floor. They look so happy yeah. to be on this flight. Um. Tui has apologized to the family and handsomely compensated them for their inconvenience after they went to the press, much more than the cost of the flight, and said that a last-minute airport er, aircraft swap caused the error. Now, a bit of detective work suggests that the plane that operated their flight would have been operated by a Boeing 757 rather than the expected Boeing 737, as Tui flies, 737s do not have 41 rows. Uh, anyway, so they have some seat maps, and they explain that uh, you know it could have been a an equipment change um, that uh, for some reason the this row or this half of that row uh, seats weren't there for whatever reason. But my question is, was this legal? And do you think seat that belts? Yasso would? Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. I I can't imagine. I mean, I know that we can't seat. Here in the U.S., we're not allowed to seat passengers in cabin crew jump seats, and I'm sure that they would definitely frown upon, you know, sitting on the floor with no seat belts at all. Uh, what do you think, Captain Nick? Well, we are allowed to put uh, uh, companions, certainly, and work colleagues in the cabin crew jump seats, um, and they are officially passengers. They're not a part of the crew. So that is legal and allowed in uh, our rules, our company rules, and obviously in the rules from the CAA, because those seats uh, are have got a harness and uh, they're perfectly usable. Now, the question I have is, um, once they got airborne, it appears that the cabin crew said, well, you can't sit in those seats now because we have to put them away and pull out the carts and do the mm-hmm. service. Once that happened, had the seatbelt signs come on, 
the these passengers would not then have had access to those seats because there would have been equipment in the way. Mm-hmm. And therein lies the the rub. So I feel that uh, this was the illegal aspect. Had they had access to those seats all the time, and perhaps Tui uh, will go, oh, yeah, yeah, we could have put the carts away and given them access immediately. And perhaps the CAA will say, okay, you got away with it this time, this time, don't do it again. But this is the sort of thing that people don't think about. They think about takeoff and landing. Yeah, you've got to have your seat then. But if uh, if you're um, a passenger or you're a crew member or whatever, you have got at any time that you need to sit down for safety, got to have a seat available to you. And uh, um, this this must have been the case or should have been the case for these passengers. I have no doubt that when they realized there was a problem with the seats, they would have offered for the passengers to fly on a later flight. And the passengers probably said, well, that's okay. Oh, no, we, no, we can. Yeah. We'll accept the fact that we have to sit on the floor rather than take a later flight. Right. But, uh, and I think it was wrong. And I think they were initially awarded credit Prior to uh, a menial uh, refund, I, I think the company should have stepped in straight away right. and given them a generous one to prevent them having to feel that they needed to go to the press. Then we yeah. would never have known about this incident. Exactly <laughs> right. That that's the point for for me. Uh, first of all, yeah, I personally, if someone had come to me with this problem and I was the captain, I would have really gone uh, rolled my eyes and go can we ensure their safety through the whole flight is this legal uh and if i'd been assured of that then i probably would have said well it's so long as the family is completely happy and understands that they're what and and we can suitably recompense them for the inconvenience but uh yeah these people also may not have i mean if it's true that um i'm just Assuming slash guessing here that they, you know, accepted to fly on the flight anyway, even after having been perhaps offered to fly on a later flight, sitting on a floor, the floor of an aircraft. I mean, maybe they didn't realize that they were going to have to, you know, uh, get up during meal service or anything like that. But that's I don't know. Um, really uncomfortable. My wife slept on the floor all the way to Hong Kong um, because, uh, you know, we were traveling on jump seats and it was... Sure. Just too uncomfortable to sit on the front jump seats bolted to the wall. They're not comfort seats. They're really uncomfortable. And she had dreadful backache, so she's lay on the floor. Um, yeah, so sometimes you do what has to be done. But, uh, uh, yeah, it's it's hard, far from ideal. And it really does – it's a bit of a PR disaster. For a uh, the sensible thing would have been to deny them travel. Uh, then it would have been just another case of passengers not getting on the flight they wanted. All right, see, so here, here's my take on this, and that is it's probably a charter flight, and I'm sure there wasn't a whole lot of choices as far as flights go. Um, so there may, may or may not have been another choice that day or that week. I don't know. I mean, it really depends on how often they have that service. But from what I'm, I'm hearing, Nick, that it's okay for – as long as they have a seat available with a seatbelt and strap in, then then the flight tenants ask them to move to the to the floor during the flight. But if in fact it had become a safety issue, they indeed have had seats for them to go back to and, and strap into. Correct. I mean, That's right. But, yeah, uh, so, so long as they can access those seats at any time, 
if if uh, those seats weren't available to them because uh, they had the galley full of carts now, uh, then that would have been a problem. Uh, and the CAA would say, well, that's all very well, but you've got to let them have those seats. for the, if Once you've given them to them, they've got to have them for the whole flight. You, you shouldn't have asked them to move out of those seats but in case right. the seatbelt sign came on. Okay, well. That would be my take on it, but. I, I don't think, uh, well, I know for sure that that's not the case uh, for U.S. carriers. Um, if you are a crew member who is authorized to jump seat, then you can occupy a jump seat. But if you're just a regular passenger or even a relation of a crew member, uh, you are not allowed to occupy a crew jump seat. And FAA you, or company regs? FAA. FAA. And mm -hmm. even to take okay. that even a little bit further, Jeff, is that if, in fact, let's say you have an airline that's not authorized or, you know, familiar with our procedures, that flight attendant, per se, cannot sit on a ACME jump seat, even though they're a, a certified flight attendant by the FARs, right? Mm -hmm. So let's say you have uh, an, an offline, you know, uh, express jet flight attendant that needs to get to work even though we have two extra jump seats if they're not qualified on aircraft or, right. or not and there's not an agreement they cannot sit in that jump seat there has to be a seat available in the cabin yeah interesting. So, anyway interesting yeah now i'm i'm pretty sure that's an faa thing but i could be wrong so if you're listening out there and you're saying no 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 jeff it's a airline airline thing well okay we'll we'll uh, correct ourselves on a future episode yeah, I, I don't know if yeah. it's an FA FA deal as much as an inter yeah interline agreement because I think the FA would view another flight attendant who's certified by the FA to and they carry it as a certification card as far as I know um, they're certified then they would be legal to sit in a jump seat mm -hmm. um, but I think right. it's an interline agreement maybe yeah it's more what I'm thinking. Because there are, be. there are flight tents I know that cannot sit in our jump seat. Yeah. So for this show, we're still at 50%. Well, uh, we're so hoping. Covering we're somewhere right around somewhere that. Somewhere. Until someone corrects it. us. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think as we're As far as we know, it's 100%. 90, yeah, 100%. Oh, 99, absolutely. maybe. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's don't get too cocky, Steph. Let's say 95. All right. 95. Okay. <laughs> we can be humble a little bit. Yeah, more. maybe. Nah. How's it going, APG crew? My name is Spencer. I'm from the Toledo, Ohio area. I just began my flight training this fall, and I figured I would, after a year of listening, I might as well send in some audio feedback and just say hi. So I just began my, my flight training at Bowling Green State University. It's right here in the area, so it's not too far from home. And I just absolutely love it. I decided really late in my senior year that I wanted to be a pilot. I wish I'd have chosen sooner, but you know, I was going to go into music a lot like you, Captain Jeff. I, um, you know, I went and I auditioned. I got into my dream schools, but, you know, the, the pull of aviation was too strong. So I began my flight training. I love it. And you guys have been a huge inspiration. I've learned so much from listening to the show all the time. And the community is really great. Hopefully I can make it out to a meetup. Um, I don't really have any crazy thought-provoking questions. I just thought I'd say hi. Um, I do have a question for Captain Jeff. You mentioned Monoprice uh, an episode or two ago. And nobody else in my life has known Monoprice except for Acme pilots. One of my mentors who kind of got me into aviation and kind of guided me through the process. He's an Acme pilot, and he got me into Monoprice. 
Is it just an, an Acme Pilot thing? Do you guys all use uh, Monoprice over there? All right. Thank you. I'll talk to you guys later. Yes, it's just a an Acme Pilot thing. Uh, we're we're given um, a special seventy five percent discount on anything at Monoprice. That's part of the uh, package when you're first hired. No, I'm just kidding. Um, uh, Dana's going. What? I don't. I don't remember getting that. What? Uh, and what's Monoprice? Dana's thinking. Um, it's a great place for all kinds of stuff, uh, electronics and and technology and that kind of thing. And the reason why I know about it is because of the uh, Leo Laporte and the Twit Podcasting Network. They talk about Monoprice all the time. Really high quality stuff like audio cables and you know, HDMI cables and all that sort of stuff for you know, dirt cheap pricing. Main man Micah knows all about it, right? Uh, anyway, great place. Check it out. I wish I had some kind of an affiliate deal with them uh, where they could kick back some money to me for mentioning them, but I don't. Monoprice, just, if you'd like to enter into. Yeah. Monoprice.com. Contact me. Call. <laughs> Contact our sales representative, Dr. Steph. <laughs> HR. At... HR. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and and welcome, Spencer, to the show. It's about time you finally sent in some feedback. And uh, do it again And it sounded sometime. great. Send some more. It did. It did. I did tweak it a little bit, but it uh, did sound good mm -hmm. to begin with. Um, oh, you you paid that voiceover guy to do it? And that's yeah, that wasn't actually Spencer you, at all. Yeah. It was a com completely different dude. <laughs> it's a good use of uh, coffee fund uh, yep. proceeds. No, that was really Spencer. Um, James uh, sent in a quick audio, and let's hear his lovely voice. Take it away, James. Greetings, Captain Jeff and APG crew. Uh, this is James Graves Brown. I wanted to leave you a quick voice feedback because I know that's your favorite. Uh, I first wanted to wish you all a happy new year and apologize to the crew for not addressing them in my first email feedback I sent. Um, I didn't know the show had evolved to its current format, which is fantastic, by the way, so keep it up. Um, sorry, guys and gal. Um, <clears throat> and I am concurrently listening to the current episodes while trying to still catch up to the old ones I'm on 60 uh, and I've listened to the most current four episodes I believe um, anyway uh, I wanted to thank you guys for taking the time to read my email on your show and for trying to fulfill my curiosity really appreciate it um, I'll be taking a round trip flight to LAX next weekend uh, to see my cousin off he's going to Afghanistan for a job um, for a year and uh, we're gonna be flying southwest both ways with a layover each way uh, Vegas on the way there Phoenix on the way back Then um, I just wanted to say it's extremely affordable surprisingly affordable anyway uh, I want to take my GoPro and film the landings and takeoffs with it um, for my YouTube channel I just wanted to know you know I know how you feel about electronic devices and I wanted to know if you're if a GoPro would fall into that category and uh, just to get yours and the crew's thoughts and opinions on me doing this, if it's reasonable or should I not either way. Uh, thank you guys again for the amazing podcast. And as always, blue skies, unlimited visibility and tailwinds, safe landings. Thanks. Thank you, James Graves Brown for the audio feedback. Always good to hear audio feedback. And I think the way that you're doing the, uh, you know, he has the APG syndrome. He's trying to listen to all the back 
catalog and the way he's doing it is the way to do it. Listen to the older shows, but at the same time, listen to the up-to-date shows. Kind yeah, of do maybe, it. Maybe one, in, one in each year. Yeah. Oh, mm. that could be difficult. You see, yes. <laughs> I, that might end them up in the psycho ward. Don't listen to Captain <laughs> Nick's advice. That's not a good idea. Um, so regarding the uh, electronic devices, photography, and that kind of thing, um, I don't think that, the, you know, Southwest especially, they, you know, you see all kinds of videos on YouTube with Southwest. Um, I don't think it's going to be a problem at all. And in probably most airlines, if you're just pointing the thing out the window and taking pictures of the takeoff and landing, as long as you're not videotaping or videoing the uh, cabin crew or something like that, then I think they're not going to, they're going to leave you alone. Uh, but yeah, in I fact, want- even if you put it up on social media, a lot of times they interact with you. They like to see pictures that they can kind of use and promote, especially if it's good quality. Yeah, good PR for the company. Like, mm-hmm. uh, in fact, Southwest is one of those companies where they encourage you to videotape the the crew when they're doing their their uh, pre-boarding announcements their and safety. their safety things. Yeah. yeah. Um, however, it, it, I should point out that most of the airlines do have policies regarding photography or video recording. And most of them, like American Airlines, has a policy that says photography or video recording of airline personnel, equipment, or procedures is prohibited. And this article where I got this information also said that United, Delta, and Southwest have similar policies. But of all those airlines, I think that Southwest would be the most liberal when it comes to, oh, yeah, you know, shoot away. You know, and now well, I, say, and shoot I, I think the I question mean, is, what are you doing with that? Uh, right that uh, image or that video recording, you know, if you're taking a photo of someone to post just a picture of a person at their, that's just strange. And I don't know why you would do that in the first place, but if there's something interesting going on, if there's something that, you know, is a, if you look out the window and you're so moved by what you're seeing out the window in terms of cloud formation, the way the sky looks, um, you know, just interest in the takeoff or landing in general, no one's going to have a problem with that. I don't think. Well, I mean, number one, if the anybody from the crew, i.e. the flight attendants, walking through the cabin when you're taking off and landing, obviously they shouldn't be doing that, right? So um, the chances of you getting caught doing that and somebody saying something to you, uh, pretty slim. Uh, is it against the FAA policy? Yes, electronic equipment is not supposed to be used. However, well, you disagree with me, Nick, uh, Jeff. I mean, yeah. You know, no, you can use you can use electronic equipment as long as the uh, cellular right. antenna is off. That's right. Now, you know what? I'm thinking of the old days. Right now, they just they just changed that a couple of years ago. I don't send this passenger too long, but yeah. So you can turn on your electronic equipment. Everybody and their brother has a cell phone. Everybody and their brother's taking video. Uh, unless there's malintent in the video, I don't see any issue with what with it whatsoever. And nobody's going to come over to you and slap your hand and say, no, you can't do that on the flight because, well, as I said before, the crew should be on, you know, in their seat strapped in anyways, take off and landing. Um, so I don't see any issue with it at all anymore. Yeah. Now, I, I'm no expert in American uh, law, but I have checked the rules a little bit because I take do a lot of photography in the States and in a place where you cannot normally expect privacy. So you're in a public place. Uh, and I think generally speaking in a metal tube crammed in with 150 other people, you can't say that's a private space. Then photographing someone is perfectly legal because they have no right of privacy 
So taking a picture of them is fine and beautiful. Um, if you are photographing someone uh, who expects privacy, so you had to move on to their private land to take a picture of them through a window, that would not be allowed. Now, the only other thing is that uh, who holds the right uh, uh, on an aircraft? Uh, you know, it's the property of the airline. They, to a certain extent, can dictate uh, the rules. Uh, but unless the airline objects, then I can't see it being a problem. Legally, I'm not saying it's not a problem uh, in a society that doesn't want its privacy to be invaded, but you don't, you can't have a right of privacy when you're really when you're sitting in an airplane crammed with a bunch of other people. Everyone's going to see everything you do. Yeah, you can't expect it. Uh, although some people, I'm sure, will. <laughs> because <laughs> yeah. there are a lot of unreasonable people yeah, out there. That's true. And but you yeah, know, we've I mean, heard of yes. Yeah, they're talking about don't don't take uh, photography or video recording of procedures. I think that's probably more um, strictly prohibited than than other things. So I, I don't know where you would be able to actually do a lot of that. But I've heard of you know situations where something is going on, usually bad passenger behavior, right. and then people have their you know phone you know, their their cell phones out with the video and taking video, and they're saying you know put it away, put it away. You know that's that's when you're kind of getting into that gray area that uh, maybe you should. Of interest, though, I bet you following an incident, uh, the police will be very pleased to have mm -hmm. any video recordings that have been. Oh, taken. I agree. That allows them to take someone to court in the same way that uh, following an accident or during an accident, uh, it, it can be very useful to have. Um, film of what happened in the cabin outside the cabin during the evacuation yep. etc and i'm not encouraging people to do it because you will not evacuate an aircraft uh in an orderly manner fast and uh and safely if you're trying to film everything that's happening right and what's more if you stop 50 feet from an airplane turn around and start filming it once you have evacuated you're putting yourself in considerable danger what i'm saying is that um it it a film taken from a safe position might be usable, might be suitable. Yeah, I think you know, basically, I think what James is is planning on doing is basically av geek related stuff. You know, not oh, taking boots, pictures right. of Fill the boots. flight attendants and that kind of thing. Yeah. I think no, I, you know, no one's going to no upsetting, yeah, uh, but yeah. otherwise you're fine. You'll be good to go. Yeah, in in the old in 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 be honest with you, in in the old days, as I said, go down that road james in the old days the answer would be no because the faa would would have frowned upon mm -hmm. that in flight tents and you know would have enforced it but now that you can use your uh, electronic devices right up until you know as, as long as the cell phone functions turned off uh you know you can use electronic devices right up until in right through takeoff and now all the way through landing pretty much from gate to gate so it's really not an issue and uh, don't hesitate to do it right is that a fidget spinner? Who are we talking to? I think Dana. Dana. I play with my Patriots. Oh. He's playing with his Patriots. Well, I don't think we want to talk about what Dana's playing with on, on, <laughs> no. on the show. Speaking of places where you expect to have privacy. It's a thought. Turn, well, it's a, turn the video off. from please, videoing it's that. A, it's a thought <laughs> provoker. See? Yeah. Yeah. But it's my, you're a, you're a thought name, provoker. That's it. That's for it. For those who can't actually see the video, it's it's just uh, it was uh, a actual raffle prize at my Patriots bar that we do uh, during halftime, and uh, I don't know why I even have it in my hand, but it happened to be up here. So, 
Okay. Squirrel. <laughs> All right. Uh, nine. <laughs> Perfect. Oh, well done, Jeff. That was nice. Thank you. Jay says, uh, Captain Nick's explanation of the F-104's abysmal flight handling characteristics filled in all the gaps that I had. Uh, the plane does look like it's going Mach 2, even when it's standing still. And I built several models of it because of how, of how cool it looked. If the plane was designed or built for supersonic performance, did it, and maybe the other Century Series fighters, force an exploration of variable geometry wings like the F-14 or the F-111? Plain Tales is the best part of the show, and thanks for the time hack. After listening for the APG crew update, I'm usually vaulting to hear latest installment. Jay Roten. Oh, so what he's saying is just the intro and then Plain Tales, and that's it. That's all Jay listens to on the show. Huh. Well, he may not even listen to the intro. But... Yeah, you may not. Yeah, you just <laughs> right to the Plain Tales. Well, you yeah. know what? Good news is for Jay, you may not know this, but... Plain Tales is a standalone podcast on its own, and you can subscribe to it, and then you wouldn't hear have to hear any of this garbage. Yeah, th- thanks very so, much to for you, Jeff, for setting that up. Yeah, and no, this uh, request, but no, listen to the whole show, Jay. For heaven's sake, yeah, I'm not sitting here wasting my time for all <laughs> these hours just so you can skip to Plain Tales. Yeah, um, come on. Yeah, be fair. <laughs> Right. Um, I don't know is the answer to this question. Uh, I think that there were a, a huge number of designs tried out and thrown away uh, um, during this period of uh, supersonic jet fighter development. Uh, and the swing wing was one concept uh, out of several designs that came forward uh, and were tried, uh, and it too has fallen into uh, misuse, except, of course, for the tornado, which clung to it for many years after everyone else had given up on the idea. Um, but I don't think it was a natural progression uh, f- to replace earlier supersonic de- designs because you'll find uh, a lot of the supersonic deltas that were built around the same time as the 104, uh, their design has continued on. Uh, so, uh, you know, you'll find that in the um, the Eurofighter, for example. So, no, I think it was just, uh, you know, another attempt to get the best out of uh, uh, the, what they could do at the time. And uh, it was never terribly successful, even though the Tomcat was a brilliant airplane. Because, uh, as it turns out, of course, it hasn't stood the tam- test of time. I was just looking quickly at uh, the development section of the uh Wikipedia article on the F-111 just to see if they had any uh, just brief insights. Um, but basically, they're, they're talking about uh, the variable geometry wings or uh, sweep wings coming about as a result of increases in aircraft weight, um, higher, heavier payloads, longer range. So need to have a lot of uh, different capabilities. So it was, it was a combination of things. Does it explain why it doesn't drop bombs very accurately? <laughs> it does not. <laughs> so, I know so, where you you're know, going with that. <laughs> I, we have some feedback from Mike yes. Dell. Sorry, I just had to slip that one that in. We're, so I'm going to go ahead. I, I, just, think, I think he was hoping that you could explain that. <laughs> so I'm, I was going to skip this one for this show, but I, I'm going to have to do it now. Uh, so uh, Mike Dell, who is a podcasting genius, uh, but he was in the U.S. Air Force as a weapon systems operator in the F-111. And he says, Captain Nick, with all due respect, 
the F-111 was one of the most accurate bombing platforms out there in its day. Certainly better than the F-4, which is an experiment to see if they put big enough engines on a brick, it will fly. <laughs> the the F-4 did fly. I know this because I have a little guy in back time in them, GIB. So Mike Dell answers another question that I had. Yes, he was also a backseater in the F-4. So very cool. Well, I uh, was never a bomber puke during that part of my uh, career. So I never dropped bombs in the F-4. I, I have no idea what the F-111's bomb dropping capability was but if you say it was good mike <laughs> i'm gonna take your word for it so it's always fun to have some smack talk on the show huh? absolutely <laughs> uh, yeah but on the other hand what the hell did they think of doing with that escape system i mean uh really you gotta be kidding me That's yeah it was the, not yeah that wasn't well thought out that was ugly uh what, yeah, basically the F111? My, yeah the you. whole the whole cockpit uh, would, yeah. would uh, eject. Yes. Um, and then the, the well, explain it. A huge it. parachute would come out. But yeah. then if they landed in the water, it was supposed to float. And you could use the control sticks uh, as a bilge pump. So if it started to fill up with water, apparently you could engage the stick into the bilge pump. And then if you, I was going to use a rude <laughs> word there. If you. If you know the motion said it all, Nick. <laughs> if you did this with the stick, it would pump out any water that leaked in. So I'm going, oh, I don't believe that. It's ridiculous. And you're making but fun of me playing with a gadget thing over here and you're over there going like this. I I'm, can't I'm do, I can't a, I, I can't do that. Yeah, I can't I'm explain that on the radio. Guy. That's what they it's do. A family show. <laughs> yes, it's a family show. show. Oh, by the way, Mike, I, I I had no idea that you were the same Mike to the podcast I've been listening to for quite a while now. So that's brilliant. Love for you to uh, have you writing in. Thanks. Excellent. All right. Yeah, so much talent out there, isn't there, in our audience? Oh, and that, mm -hmm. Mr. Dell has a great deal of talent. Yes, he does. I, I, a... I call myself the old old pilot. Well, he's the old podcaster. Yeah. He's uh, definitely a guy with a lot of knowledge. Mm. Okay. Well, you know what? I was going to try to do another one, but I think it's time for us to end today's show. So next time, all those items of feedback that Liz um, thought we would be able to get to. It's come only on, Liz. five, you right? No better. Do too bad. Yeah. Not bad. But uh, she's always very uh, optimistic. But uh, next time She's we'll. Canadian. What do you expect? That's true. That's true. Very optimistic. She's optimistic. Uh, Someone will come someday. So we have some audio feedback from Tom and um, uh, Wynung, uh sent us some feedback. Brett has a question about uh, solar panels and uh, distracting pilots. Oh, and, yeah. I just, uh, I've seen those. Yeah. Um, they are distracting. Peter uh, who talk, uh, sent us in some feedback regarding. Uh, messing with buttons in the cockpit. Hmm. Oops. That should be interesting. So with that, I think it's time for us to talk about our website, airlinepilotguy.com, where you can go to find out all kinds of good stuff. Uh, you can see uh, information about the APG crew, about the community, the uh, APG library, APG live. We have merchandise. We have, uh, what else? Uh, information about the coffee fund and... We have the APG community calendar there. Lots of good stuff there. Check it out. AirlinePilotGuy.com. 
And uh, we also have apps on Android and iOS. And a new version of the app should be out sometime soon. So I'll be looking for that. And let's see, social media, Dr. Steph. Yeah, head on over to Twitter, twitter.com. And using the handle at APG Crew, you can interact with us there in 280 characters or less. And pinned to the top of that page is our individual Twitter information should you wish to interact with us individually. You can also head over to facebook.com slash airline pilot guy. Um, lots of good community interaction there. People sharing articles uh, related to aviation and the industry in general. And um, not much more to say about that. Uh, perhaps you may also want to check out Slack if you're interested in meetups and other uh, uh, things specifically related to the show. But I'll let Hillel mention that. Yeah, our Slack team. Hillel. APG listeners, please join us on our Slack team. Slack is a communication, coordination, and sharing platform that works on your mobile, laptop, or browser. On Slack, we share ideas and news. We suggest episode and Plane Tales topics. We plan events and meetups. To get into the Slack team, please email me at slack at airlinepilotguy.com. That's S-L-A-C-K, Sierra, Lima, Alpha, Charlie, Kilo, at airlinepilotguy.com. Or... Send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at Hillel, and I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel, spelled H-I-1-1-E-1, Hotel India, 1-1, Echo 1, and see you in Slack. And a big shout out to our producer, Liz Piper in Toronto. Thank you very much for doing all that hard work behind the scenes and doing your best to make us look as... Go, Patriots. Go, Liz. Yeah, go, Liz. Go, Liz. And until next time, wishing you blue skies. No, wishing you clear skies, unlimited visibility, and tailwinds. Take care and God bless. Cheers, y'all. I like blue skies. Blue skies is good, too. It is. And on a Timo, who I really liked his feedback this evening, I'm going to say sayonara. Juice. Bye, everybody. Good day.